0: Content warning, the following podcast contains discussion of racism, gender dysphoria, and sexual relations with minors.
1: You're watching Channel 37. WHXN. New Salem. It's Channel 37's Midnight Movie Show season finale musical Extravaganza Spectacular. Nothing like an undersell. Anyway, we're gonna kick off tonight with the most important film of a generation, it's break into Electric Boogaloo. Then, Ascension Bag of Potato Stars and Streets of Fire. Finally, the season wraps up with Hedwig and the Angry Inch. One of these things is not like the other.
0: Hello and welcome to Channel 37's Midnight Movie Show. I'm Dan and with me are Mike. Hello. Dave. Hello. Wendy. Hi there. And Will.
2: Dancing is my life.
0: <laughs> yes, it is. We have done it. We have uh, gotten to the end of a season that quite frankly was too long and <laughs> somehow turned into a a musical review. Um and so we thought we will yeah. <laughs> we will wrap things up by putting some of the other movies that we thought about doing in a hat and coming up with these three. Why not? <laughs> mhm yes oh man and I felt like and I, I, I'm glad this one came up because I mean how how, how can you have a B-movie musical show and not find yourself talking about breaking into Electric Boogaloo
3: <laughs> Buddy people in the place to be This is what you've all been waiting to see Electric Boogaloo Commit we with Kelly, Ozone and Turbo. Electric Boogaloo is breakdance too. Yeah ooh hi. Electric Boogaloo's action dance the best you'll get. If you like breakdance, one UNT nothing
4: gets. I'll finish you, your friends, and your whole damn neighborhood.
3: This time there is an enemy, so they must unite because the things you believe in sometimes you must fight. You lost your edge. Try Electric Boogaloo's the greatest, nothing can compete And once you've seen this movie, you'll believe in the beat
0: A, a, a dance extravaganza brought to you by, by the director of Ninja 3, The Domination.
2: <laughs> oh, yeah, it is. <laughs> yeah.
0: And Dave, I think you asked me, am I going to be able to follow this without having seen Breaking
2: 1? <laughs> <One?"
5: laughs>
2: hey, I will point out, I did watch Breaking 1 for this. <laughs> <laughs>
6: Brilliant. You can, you can fill in all the uh, plotting inconsistencies and things that maybe weren't quite clear.
5: <laughs>
0: <laughs> breaking one. Okay, the story of breaking one. Uh, a fancy pants rich girl dancer discovers street dancing. Can she get herself accepted? <laughs> Spoiler, yes. <laughs>
6: <laughs> uh, I mean, to be fair, that one did span a lot of um, imitators. Things like Step Up and mm-hmm. stuff like that. I mean, they, they all... Oh, their origins to break it.
0: They absolutely 100% do.
5: Mm-hmm.
6: And it's, it's always white girl discovers um, dance style by people of colour in the yeah. in, in low-income area.
5: Mm-hmm.
6: <laughs> what, wonders why she's treated
0: with hostility. <laughs> <laughs> And, and we'll get into this but like, like that carried it, it's so funny because that definitely carried into this movie as well mm. but in a way that they were very obviously very uncomfortable to actually bring up like actually say the word racism out loud <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> you think you're so good because you're rich mm-hmm. <laughs> you're
2: not at her because she's rich
6: mm-hmm. well i mean like, i think the rich thing does play into
0: it a bit <laughs> yeah <laughs>
2: But there's at least one case of those people.
0: Yeah. Mm hmm. Mm-hmm. Oh, it's all, yeah, yeah. You, you, you don't need the, uh, you know, the, 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 the codex cipher to determine what people are saying
2: yeah. in this movie. It's basically a movie about how the power of dance ends racism. Yeah. Well, yeah, obviously. I thought it was White Savior of the Musical.
0: Yeah.
5: That it's not both
6: It it sort of fall, ends up falling into a genre that I've I've kind of like called Thank you, Rich White Man. <laughs> <laughs> where sort of like it happens a lot in things like a uh, Castle and stuff where sort of you know, they they encounter somebody who's having a difficult time and then the rich white man writes them a check and oh thank you rich white man you've
0: solved all of our problems yeah, yeah. and it's just basically again not to get too far ahead of ourselves that's basically daddy can I have a community center <laughs> 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 oh man yeah We're, breaking to electric boogaloo what is this movie about um <laughs> they, they, have, they have the local community center is going to get demolished by an evil business developer that wants to turn into a shopping mall that is literally what this movie is about <laughs> yeah, no, no, I would mean, like the, the I mean, again, it's
6: launched a thousand imitators in terms of plot. Line.
7: <laughs> is but, this where this trope begins? Can we no. originate it to this No, or... like save the
0: farm, save the orphanage. That's been oh, okay. around sure. forever. But yeah, I was like, thinking the save the community center, it's very I, specific. Yeah, this is probably this specific variation mm-hmm. might be the first time. But yeah. no, I mean that
6: that yeah, that's like, look, an old trope. Yeah. I like, like Mickey
0: Rooney and Judy Garland were doing
2: Stuff what yeah. like this weren't <laughs> oh, okay. Yeah. The like, little rascals did at least weren't too shorts where that was the plot.
0: We're gonna put on a okay. a show to raise money to yeah, like like the like the one that immediately came to mind for me was the Blues Brothers. Mm-hmm. But um Oh duh. you know, it goes way yeah. older than that. Yeah. yeah. But but I do think that this and I they Dave, I think you're right. I think that this is the movie that cemented it as like the ultimate eighties cheesy trope. Mm. You know. Like yeah, everybody I mean, like, I've seen since this movie is looking back at this movie yeah, specifically. When,
6: when, when people joke about films about saving the community center, it, it's this film that people are thinking <laughs> of.
0: Mm-hmm. I mean, that's basically the plot. There's really no no more plot to that, other than Turbo falls in love because Ozone got to fall in love the last time. <laughs>
2: <laughs> Turbo gets like, a girlfriend who's hey, hey. always stubbed. Yeah.
6: <laughs> Why are all these dancers named after Transformers? (laughs) Hey,
2: if there was a freaking Transformer named Shabadoo, I would be so much (laughs) (laughs) like, yes, please.
0: Go get him, Boogaloo Shrimp.
6: (laughs) Transformers! Autobots, transform and dance off!
4: Yes,
0: please.
7: <laughs> Wendy just on her next cosplay.
4: <laughs>
0: <laughs> okay, so this movie is chaos. So <laughs> 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 <It's> just- <laughs> this podcast is chaos. So far, yeah, I know. <laughs> yes, I know. Seriously. Oh my god! Back on the rails. Back on the rails. Has is was this anybody's first time seeing this movie?
7: Possibly.
0: Yep. Everybody has raised a hand except Wendy. Wendy, you've seen this before?
4: Oh, I mean, I'm pretty sure I saw it. I feel like I might have seen it in a theater. Yeah. <laughs> but I yeah. was exactly the right age to mm-hmm. watch this movie a lot when it came out.
0: Yeah, it's true. But this is like the epitome of the movie you go to see because the, the AC is broken and you've got five bucks. No? no,
4: this is the movie you and your friends actively choose to go see and beg for a ride to the mall to go see.
0: <laughs> <laughs> I guess it does have to specifically be the the theater at the mall, doesn't it? <laughs> yeah.
4: And the suburbs. All the theaters are in the mall, yeah.
5: mm.
2: but also feels like a we're having a sleepover and we, we have like three VHSs to t- choose from. <laughs> mm.
6: <laughs> Is this a golfing instruction video? Yeah.
0: <laughs> it can't be Santa well, do every time, Betty.
4: <laughs> <laughs> but it's like this or rock and roll.
2: Yeah, I mean, I, the, the choice is obvious. This. I mean, rock and roll's great, but I love rock and roll. Mm-hmm. I'm gonna very. I'm gonna say Dave. What would you think?
6: <laughs> well, I do have very, very, very vague memories of seeing Breaking One. As a mm-hmm. child, you know, it just one of those was just on television, and I like, kind of caught something. And I only really remember just a bit of a dance off in a club.
5: Mm-hmm.
6: Um, obviously, I know this film by reputation.
5: Mm-hmm.
6: It was like this was okay. It was like this wasn't terrible. Mm-hmm. I mean, like yes, it's cheesy as hell, but like I've I've seen a lot worse. <laughs> um, I mean, probably sort of my main issue with it, the, the main thing I occasionally struggled with it was um, (laughs) this is kind of like the first time I've seen a musical with both (laughs) uh, diegetic and non-diegetic dancing. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Because there are dances where there are are moments where people very clearly are dancing properly in the world around them. And there are other times where a dance is clearly metaphorically happening, not actually happening, like like the uh, one in the hospital.
5: Mm -hmm.
6: You know, that's clearly not actually happening. I hope otherwise I have a lot <laughs> a lot of questions about that hospital um, so yeah so so sometimes the line between what's actually happening and what's happening in a musical sense, you know was was a bit kind of fuzzy for me, but overall, yeah, I mean like, I kind of feel the movie could have done without what's what's the main girls name? Tina Kelly. Okay. Hey. Yeah, you could you could have taken Kelly out of this storyline entirely and had like much the same film, maybe even better, because like the bits the bits with Tina in are just really, like Kelly was just really awkward, you know, <laughs> in terms of yeah like you say the trying to touch on racism but not wanting to say the R word and sort of you know not really addressing her privilege and. The idea that she might, yeah, there's a little, there's a very minor bit of tension of is she going to go away and take this job in Paris or is she going to stay and do her bit to support the community centre? But those aren't really the bits that the film's built on. Like the the, the things the things that the film's built on are the stuff around everybody in the community centre, who, yeah, is is a great group of people and a (laughs) mime. There's a
5: mime in
6: this. Like, like, basically, as soon as I saw that guy, she's like, oh, well, you could just get to fuck. How, did I, how have you ingratiated yourself with these other much cooler people? <laughs> and I think everybody needs to take these people aside and, tell, and gently explain to them that juggling is not the attraction that you think it is. Because <laughs> they keep constantly pushing this. Oh, yeah, there's going to be dancing and there's going to be juggling. Like yes, the dance show absolutely really yeah. Show up, show up for the dance show. The juggling is not the hook. You think it's going? People are not turning up for the juggling. Nobody Ultimately, there is no the juggling book. on display.
5: Yeah.
6: <laughs> Anybody who wanted juggling would have been disappointed.
0: <laughs> oh look, he thinks he's in a box. We can we can put him in a box. <laughs>
6: <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, no. no I thought the yeah, like yeah, the whole. <laughs> the bit where the two gangs have a dance off that that what that's that's where i was very confused as to how much of this is actually happening and how much of this is just <laughs> metaphorical dance off that was the moment where i was the most confused
7: dave like, asks asks like acts like he's never seen west side story come on dave it's not confusing yeah, cool. no, 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 not in, <laughs> in west side story it's
6: very clear how it works <laughs> Well, yes, there is absolutely a hint of West Side Story about it, but in West Side Story, that's you know that's the dance as metaphor for the fight. But in, in this, because there's that kind of blurry line between what dance is actually happening, what dance is kind of representing something, I was a little confused as to whether this was an actual dance-off or whether this was a fight. And... <laughs> and quite how anybody won at the end of it. <laughs> like, I, I, that whole bit just kind of really confused me. Is it like a point
5: system?
6: Is yeah, like... it is. <laughs> and, like, like, you know, the mean gang walk away. I, I was kind of expecting them to be... Because there's a bit where the main guy, again, whose name escapes me. I was terrible with people's names in this. Ozone. Ozone. He goes to see... Like the leader of the other gag, says, "You know that we should be working together." And I was kind of expecting them to have to come into it more like towards the end when they were kind of, yeah, you know, when they're all kind of standing up against the bulldozers and stuff. But no, they they're just all like standing on the sidelines watching. It's just like, why, why did you build up this possible alliance and then do nothing with it? But Yeah, no, overall, like the, the dancing's fun. The music's very eighties, and it's it's nothing more than it pretends to be. Like, yeah, it's not, it's like, when they were making they, they weren't seeking to break the artistic mold when they made this, you know? Mm-hmm. This yeah, this is a cash-in on a dance trend, on a sequel to a movie about a dance trend, and, which did reasonably well enough to warrant a sequel. And this is fine. This is absolutely fine.
0: Okay. Wendy, again, you said, that, you know, you, you almost certainly watched this as a kid yourself um and now you're see, seeing it as an adult were you taken back were you disappointed were you like what the fuck was i thinking were you like oh man i you, What like what were your where was your head with this
4: well okay so again i'm pretty sure we saw this in the theater i would have been 12 mm-hmm. so i give 12 year old wendy a lot of grace sure. um <laughs> for her choices she was she was probably dressed up for this with all of her friends <laughs> um with an upsetting amount of checkerboard things and big sneakers um I mean it is so cheesy um I don't think you know in the in the middle of the 80s in middle school I didn't really recognize this as cheesy and I certainly didn't recognize this as like White Savior the musical or White Savior the dance movie um but it was still very sweet. Like the dancing in it really is phenomenal. Um, all all three of the lead dancers are very good at what they do, and it's just—I I know that they didn't invent these tropes, but I feel like they're sort of like the ultimate '80s peak of some of these tropes, like saving the community center from the evil developer or the fundraising—the fundraiser with the car wash slash lemonade stand slash. <laughs> um, you know, portraits slash evil mind performance. Like <laughs> <laughs> it's like peak of all of the, those things. And it's it was really sweet. Like something that really stuck out this time. Like I remember like seeing this when I was younger, thinking like, oh those electro rockers, those are the bad guys. And watching it this time, all I could think of is like that is a grown ass man leading the street gang. <laughs> And they have a gang uniform that somebody's mom made for them. <laughs> the good guys are wearing neon band uniforms and bikini tops, um, and that's how you can tell that they're the good guys. But I don't know. I think it's. I think it's fun. I think the dancing is really fun, and the music and the fashion is just a, a time capsule mm-hmm. into that era. And while this is the sequel, this is actually part of a three movie cinematic universe. All tied together by um a very young iced tea
0: <laughs> yeah. so. oh God iced tea in this movie
7: <laughs> what's the third movie
4: Rapping oh
0: is he playing the same character or is it just it's iced tea? I think just... he's just iced tea in all three okay he's just kind of he's just kind of wrapping in bondage gear. <laughs> <laughs>
6: I mean, honestly, the most unbelievable part of this film is that that, that mime made any money. Yeah.
2: <laughs> oh, he went into a bank and he held it up, you know? Yes. Yeah.
4: Just... <laughs> I don't. The, the mime is just so jarring. Like, I'm willing to believe these are all like kids of a certain like economic class that all kind of live together in a certain kind of neighborhood this all makes sense what the fuck is the mime doing there
0: <laughs> well the mime is what's going to get him out of East LA you know like being <laughs> look at that yeah being be, being a mime is what's going to going to get him out of this city and, and off to success and renown I guess and not you know can be bigger his... than Marcel
2: Marceau
4: yeah <laughs> Who was that mime duo that had a variety show in the seventies?
6: I mean, we don't remember their names for a reason.
4: <laughs> Shields and Yarnell. He was going to be bigger than Shields and Yarnell. Yeah,
0: there's a there's a deep cut right there. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Mike, how about yourself? What were you? What did you? What you, you think of of what was going on here? Yeah, so. I'm
7: not entirely sure. I don't think I've seen this all the way through. Mm -hmm. I'm positive I've seen this movie, though. You know, cable in parts, that sort of thing. Um, I enjoyed the fuck out of this. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, it is what it is. It's deeply problematic with the, 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 the racism stuff. I mean, every white character except for Kelly, even the mom is, like, racist in some way, shape, or form. You know, even the mom has like the little subtle ways. You know, like where you're still like, "Mm, but, and I agree with. I think it was Dave that said you could kind of lift Kelly out, and the movie would pretty much be the same. You know, but I but I get why she's here because she was in the first movie. What's the time span between Breaking and Breaking Two? They're they're released in the same year, a few months, they? yeah, yeah. So I understand why it's like everybody's got to come back, bring her back to the. You know, would the movie have changed much without her? I mean, the ending would have because Daddy wouldn't have been there with the checkbook, mm-hmm. right? So how so, else? So would That could have been anyone, couldn't it? Like you could have just had
6: somebody rich turn up and go, you kids have done a fine job. Have some money.
5: Yeah,
7: I mean, (laughs) the the, the developer literally, instead of being uh, (laughs) strong-armed by the one guy who's just like, come on, keep going, he could have had a change of heart. But like, you know what? I really didn't see what this brought to the community. This would be better if, if this stayed here over a shopping mall. How much do you need? You need another 75 grand. Bang, here's the check. Whatever. You could have done it that way. But fine, whatever. Just looking at the movie as it is, yeah, it was fun. I like the mu- the music, the dancing, the sequence where Turbo is in the room that's turning mm-hmm. as he's dancing mm-hmm. all around, and his would-be girlfriend comes in, who, as Will pointed out, is dubbed. And oh my god, that is terrible. But- <laughs> <laughs> um. Yeah, like I, I was surprisingly into this. I went in going, I don't know what this is gonna be because it's been the butt of so many jokes. Like if you talk about sequels, it's either the Return of Jafar or Electric Boogaloo. Those, the, you know, so <laughs> you know it is. That's it's become a joke, and it, you know, it's kind of fun. It's a lot yeah. of fun. You know, will I ever sit down and watch it again? Sure, you know, if it's on. But yeah yeah i don't know i dug it i dug it and i didn't know it was directed by the same guy who did um
0: would you say ninja three ninja three yeah
7: obviously i know she I, I don't know the actor's name who played kelly lucinda dickey but yep. yeah, i know she goes on to be the star of ninja three but i didn't understand i didn't know the director she
0: had actually be. already been the star 1984 was a big year for lucinda dickey
7: okay <laughs> all
0: three she made three movies that year she made Breakin, she made ninja three and she made break two uh, I guess she filmed wow. Ninja 3 first, but that's the order they came out in, and they all came out in 1984. Okay. And then
7: that's pretty much her resume. She—I don't think she has much beyond
0: those, right? She was also in cheerleader camp. Okay. And when did you know that you found her?
4: She's a dancer in Greece too. Oh wow! wow. Yeah. <laughs> oh, that's crazy. She's, she she can't sing so every time there's like a group of people singing and dancing in greece too and then there's somebody like just at the edge of the frame that's her <laughs> she's a great dancer but she can't sing <laughs> mm-hmm.
5: but
7: uh i will say though i did actively get mad at her when she was waffling on going to going to paris or not mm-hmm. i understand how important it is to stay behind help your friends especially with something that is going to change all their lives but it's also like, take the job, take the job. But that's like forty-five-year-old me yeah. want to sit like her down and be like, listen to me, listen. Okay? Okay. You got it. Th- I mean, your your friends are going to struggle, I end but You got to think of yourself. Like, and I don't mean to be as selfish like that, but like the adult part of me is like, take the fucking job, you know. But yeah, I enjoyed the heck out of this. I really did.
2: So yeah.
0: Will, how about yourself? Would you uh, Would you think of this?
2: So one of my favorite car- cards and Cards Against Humanity is the thin veneer of situational causality that underlines porn. That's <laughs> only substitute porn for dancing and uh, montages, and montages featuring dancing. <laughs> like this film is not is. As- Uh, Just an excuse for dancing. I like, I like, the dancing in the film is almost always, like, phenomenally good. But, I mean, the plot itself is basically just there to facilitate dancing. Like, the original, the original had a plot, and there was a reason for all the dancing. Because they were dancing to prove themselves. In this one, they're dancing to open a community center. We never get an explanation for why, you know, one out of the three of them don't have a dance show now. And why mm-hmm. the third one is basically just doing chorus line when, you know, oh, you had a freaking featured role in something. Mm-hmm. But, I mean, what makes it awesome? I mean, the dancing is great. The film, it's the acting itself, you know. Listen, maybe there's a reason why Lucinda Dickie hasn't done much outside, <laughs> you know, these handful of films, but I mean, overall, I mean, it's just it's a fun, goofy time. It's not going to change your life. It's not a great movie, but you know, you gotta throw something on. You want you have some friends over. You're having a couple drinks. There's no reason not to throw on break into electric boogaloo.
0: <laughs> that is probably yeah. That's that's honestly the most reasonable, sensible attitude I think you can have towards this movie. <laughs> you know, it does exactly what it says it's going to do. You know, it's you know they're going to <laughs> they're going to break dance. That's that's why you're watching this movie because you want to watch people who are very good break dancers do the thing that they're very, very good at, you know? Um, obviously, I mean, Shabadoo and, and, and shrimp are, were both extremely famous, very successful street dancers. Um, and you're coming here to watch them do the thing that they're famously amazing at. And they are, and they do. And listen to Dickie again, like, like we talked about when we talked about Ninja three is not the most compelling screen presence, but she's enormously charming and appealing. Um, no, she didn't have a lot to do in this movie. She's here because you liked her in the first one, but um, and <laughs> and she wears a little cape sometimes too.
5: So
4: <laughs> she has a little cape, <laughs> <laughs> she's yeah. the best clothes in this,
0: <laughs> but um. Yeah, the dancing is great. The story less so, but it's, you know, you're not here to, because you're worried about the outcome of the car wash bake sale (laughs) fundraiser that they've got going on. You know, you know that obviously this is not the kind of movie where they're actually going to tear down the community center. (laughs) You know, it closes on a
2: freeze frame of the wrecking ball.
0: (laughs) Yay, capitalism!
2: (laughs) (laughs) Okay, they're all dancing on the street while they're distracted. We didn't tear down the community center. <laughs> yeah,
0: It's not that kind of movie. You know, they're going to save the day at the end of the day. You know, you know that special case parents are going to be so impressed by their daughter's pluck that they're going to get in their car and drive themselves from Bel Air to East LA to drop off a check in person. You know, <laughs> like that's it's that kind of movie. Um, it is very fun, and you're not going to remember anything about it ten minutes after you turned it off, except for some of the dance sequences. The dancing on the ceiling scene is terrific, absolutely amazing. Um, the hospital, <laughs> the hospital dance is just so absurd that you know it's it, it's fun, but it's again, this is crazy, but it's crazy in the same way that like MGM musicals of the '40s were right you know it's it's not doing anything more absurd than that you know like it's not busby berkeley but it's the same kind of big over-the-top sequence that just happens to involve strippers in nurse uniforms
2: (laughs) um power of dance will save anyone from anything if somebody if one of those people had had cancer congratulations you're in remission after experiencing (laughs) the dance
4: that's the like, power of dance.
2: It's exactly That's it's the true. real
7: reason the lady in Star Trek 4 survived. Not McCoy's future sci-fi. <laughs> right. You know?
5: uh-huh.
2: <laughs> she brought dance to the future. <laughs> yeah.
0: <laughs> yeah, I mean. Yeah, I don't, I don't know what to say, man. I mean, it's, it's, it's absurd, but it's fun. Um, also, I did not know this. and They didn't mention it in this movie, but Turbo's character's real name is Tony Ainley. I just read that. <laughs> <laughs> so he he, he oh, is indeed man. the master, you know.
6: <laughs> <laughs> Excellent, oh, splendid, first class, right? <laughs> Here for it.
2: <laughs> so there's like one very important cameo. I think we need to mention about this film though, mm-hmm. which is the room that the um when um the one guy is dancing on the on the walls mm-hmm. is the exact same um set as the as the room in nightmare on elm street
7: yes oh it is yeah, yeah they
2: borrowed it yeah
7: like when when did that come out was that also 84 yeah i think so so that would make okay now that makes sense okay got you hmm.
2: yeah they're both independent studios they were probably like hey you guys just got done using is, have you torn that down yet? Awesome. Can we use it? For, can we use it for a couple of days and repaint it? You're done with it completely? Awesome.
0: Yeah.
4: Somewhere that really, in that scene is like a poster of the finger knives on the wall.
2: That's really? like a little hey,
4: thank wow. you. Yeah.
0: I will I will go back and watch that for sure. Oh. Wow. That I mean, I can't stress enough the, that that scene is phenomenal. Mm -hmm. like there's a lot of great dancing in this movie but that particular one is just chef's kiss just incredibly good
7: i legit watched it three times because i'm like that's how impressed i was i'm like i need the second time i was like i need to see the seams like how they put this together and i couldn't find them so i'm like now i'm watching it a third time just for fun yeah
4: yeah and that's like they did it before lionel richie did it
7: Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. (laughs) mm-hmm
6: Hey, Lionel, it's me, your cousin Marvin. Marvin Ritchie. (laughs) (laughs) You know that video you've been looking for?
4: (laughs) Well, you know, um, what's his name? Um, Michael Chambers. um, Boogaloo Shrimp. Known professionally as Boogaloo Shrimp. He's in, like, a couple of Lionel Richie videos.
0: Mm -hmm. But I don't
4: think he's in that one.
0: He's literally the guy that taught Michael Jackson to moonwalk. He is... is very
4: good yeah like the both of them really were significant dancers in the 1980s with long careers both dancing professionally choreographing for others um in television in in film Mm -hmm. um they both taught they um and michael chambers is still around um whereas
0: shabado passed away what is his name adolfo
4: uh, quinones uh passed away yeah
0: he was one of the lockers, right? He's one of the original
4: He's one of the lockers. original lockers, like the that seminal troupe, like that Tony Basil co-founded with, mm-hmm. with some re- guys re- like
0: Rerun and yeah.
4: I don't think he was in the original. Oh
3: I thought he was
0: he
4: um they reform he he Oh no, you're right. Absolutely he was. Fred Berry was in it. Um And they were just they were the shit. Like they, they invented. He's from the group that kind of invented locking, whereas Mm -hmm. um, Chambers is from poppers. Mm -hmm. And now, like, pop and lock is a fused (laughs) dance form that people, like, recognize. (laughs) And it's, it's like, at the core of, like, what became, like, the popularized concept of breakdancing as like, built on pop and lock combos. Mm
3: -hmm. Wow.
0: It is impossible to overstress if you were, like... 10, 12 years old in 1984... How badly you hurt yourself trying to do these things
2: in the school. You and your friends lives. had a
4: piece of cardboard and a breakdance crew. <laughs> you absolutely <laughs> did.
2: There's the one episode of Futurama where Fry is part of a breakdancing group back when he was a kid. And like, that's immediately what I thought of when I was watching um, both these films. Mm-hmm. The original and this one is like, yeah, you know, I can see some, a bunch of white kids in, um in the Bronx deciding, mm-hmm. hey, we want to be like Shabadoo.
0: I I can tell you from firsthand experience, a bunch of white kids in Canton, Massachusetts,
4: in suburban New England, yeah, trying
0: to like 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 hurting their shoulders, trying to you know, you know trying to to spin around on the piece of cardboard in the in the St. John's Elementary School parking lot <laughs> <laughs> in our little in our little Catholic school uniforms, <laughs> you know? also. I'm watching this. You know what I'm thinking of is uh, I don't know if any of you remember the uh, commercial for Al- that Alfonso Rivero put out for a VHS tape that he was going to mm-hmm. teach you how to break dance. Huh. And it came with a there- mat, it came with like a piece of cardboard, <laughs> like a branded piece of cardboard.
4: <laughs> there was also a KTEL compilation with like break dance songs that came with like a poster that broke down break mm-hmm. dance moves that I absolutely did not have.
5: Yeah, <laughs> that.
6: Oh
0: god. How
6: dare you? That that's why white people gentrified breakdancing.
0: <laughs> Basically, yeah. You know Listen,
2: when if something is popular, you can expect white people to try and ruin it. Exactly. Oh absolutely, yeah.
0: Yeah. Exactly. We are the frozen yogurt of breakdance. Yes.
5: <laughs> oh god. <laughs>
0: 1984 was a very specific time, man.
4: <laughs> it really was.
0: I, again, not for nothing. It was just a great year to be ten. Yeah, gonna <laughs> you know, play with my transformers and 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 you know do do six spins in the parking lot, <laughs> <laughs> and then jump stuff on my BMX.
4: <laughs> I'm having a hard time visualizing that.
0: well you're having a hard time visualizing me doing it successfully because it never (laughs) happened
4: see
2: i was 10 in 1995 and all we have is the macarena
0: yeah
4: i feel like we should have more to say about this movie but there just isn't much there there's really
0: not no because i was like there's gotta be more and i'm sure we could sit here and like hey remember this bit hey remember this bit but uh
2: I mean the only other thing I really have to add is I feel like every single time they talked about how much money they need to save miracles
5: mm-hmm. like
2: the the amount of money went up mm-hmm. like at first I think it was like in four digits then it was five digits then by the end of the movie it was six digits and it's mm-hmm. like how do you keep on how why, with all this money you could have just built a new community center and the evil <laughs> supermarket could have gotten built
0: The thing that I recall, and again, maybe I'm misremembering, but like part of the issue, as I recall, is that the community center Miracles was falling apart. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Like Mm -hmm. it would be criminally negligent for us to let you continue to be in this community
5: center.
4: But I don't think that it actually was. I think like the evil developer was in cahoots with the evil city planner guy. Um, And the city planner guy got his guys to say, this building is structurally unsound. So that he could get the community center out and get it torn down and have the evil supermarket built.
0: Okay, um, I remember yeah. just I remember the the, the lady in the, like the zoning office like being super sympathetic to them, but like saying like we can't really let you be in here.
4: And that's all based off this official report from the city planner. I office.
0: misunderstood. Okay, breaking into electrical glue was too complicated for me. <laughs> <laughs> oh, and I'm, and I'm the, glad the we said is- it oh sorry so, no Mike why don't you go ahead
7: I just, I'm glad Wendy said that because I was a little confused because there were times where I thought the city planner was in on it with the developer but then by the end I'm like was he not this whole time like I, I don't know if something if he had a moral come to Jesus moment or what or I just misunderstood because I kind of thought he was on the take at the start and he was lying but by the end I was like oh wait, maybe he is telling the truth and this place it really does need to be not torn down, but could, if it was legit fixed up, it'd be safe and it could be saved. I didn't know. So I just kind of rolled with
4: it. Okay. I think that the implication is absolutely that the city planner is in cahoots with the evil developer guy okay. and actively trying to make that happen for him. I assume there's some kind of financial kickback, but that's not really talked about on camera. Yeah. Um, and then towards the end when it's very clear, not just like these kids are likely going to pull this off, but also like the heart of the community is behind Miracle's survival, then it is politically expedient for him to kind of, to switch sides. Okay. Okay.
6: Yeah, that whole part isn't made terribly clear. It's all kind of rushed through as well, because, yeah, it's not, like, it's the catalyst for all the dancing, but you don't want to spend too much time on it because it takes away from all the dancing. Right. But, like, the the speed at which all of this happens, I swear this one takes place over the course of a week. Mm-hmm. during which time sort of like uh, Miracles is put at risk the structural surveying is done the council meeting is passed the resolution's done and the fundraiser happens it's just like everything happens far too quick
0: and then Alicia she- Masters just comes in and just has to build a statue of Ben Grimm
5: yeah <laughs> <laughs> call back
2: <laughs> so there was actually a movie I was watching like just a couple of days ago um, that came out this year called Theatre Camp Mm. And first off. Highly recommend, but um, yeah, it pretty much is almost the exact same plot. Whereas a in this case, it's a it's a theater camp that you know is in for forecl- in foreclosure, and they're going to have like the you know their big show that's going to you know get them get them the donations to keep the camp going. But there's literally a scene where in the middle of it, the evil venture capitalists like come in and start like surveying how they're going to tear down like the theater in the theater camp while the kids are in there rehearsing. <laughs> and it's like, wow, you know, I, yeah. if this, if break into had been made like 20 years later, the, and then, you know, all the public sympathy in the world probably wouldn't have been able to stop the evil venture capitalists that want to make a, make a mini mall.
0: Yeah. Well, I think any of us that that's lived through the American economy of the last 20, 30 years, understand that nothing is going to stop the evil venture capitalists from, uh, from doing exactly whatever the fuck they feel like doing. <laughs>
6: Sorry, oh, I do I, I love the way the plot suddenly turns like turns on a dime because like you've got that funny moment where Turbo nicks the um, surveyor's gear. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they kind of like uh, like the the dance heist. Of, kind <laughs> of and and then he's running away like a little scab, but then all of a sudden he falls down some stairs and it gets really dark. Whoa! Yeah. <laughs> yeah. like, no, this is this this took a turn quite radically and quite quickly. Yeah. So all of a sudden Turbo's kind of seriously injured. And then it's all right because everybody dances in the hospital and he feels better. And then, <laughs> and then he escapes. They take his cast off after again it being on for like a day. <laughs> like mm-hmm. like mm-hmm. how was his leg not massive, purple, and bruised? Right. Because dance. Yeah. If there
2: had been a break in three? They, if there had been a break in three, we would have found out that he is that he is paralyzed from the waist down because he danced against his doctor's <laughs> orders.
5: <laughs> We'd be
0: like a Rocky Five situation. <laughs> you dance just
2: one more time
3: turbo <laughs> you're <They're> gonna die
0: <laughs> there actually was a couple of other things that i wanted. the I, I i don't i can say i don't remember like the name of the song because i don't remember the name of any of the songs in this movie but um there's like the like the big dance sequence at the beginning of the movie where they're kind of like, going through the streets and like we're seeing the neighborhood and all that i i found it remarkable just how well directed that was hmm. There's some really great just camera movements and, and angles being used and like the lighting, it's just terrific use of like cinematic language to show this dance sequence. What were we talking about recently? Cats. Uh, we would when we would do, when we were doing the cats movie, we talked about how it's so easy for a bad director to ruin a dance number by just not knowing how to shoot it right. And here we've got Sam Furstenberg, who's primarily known as an action director. Uh, He did so many ninja movies for canon. But he directed the shit out of some of these dance sequences. Um, So that's the other thing. is like, Not only is the dancing really good, but the movie looks really good and and captures the movement really well. And I did want to kind of get that across. The other thing, and Wendy, I know you've got more to say about this than I do is uh, the character of don't remember her name but turbo's new girlfriend (laughs) who's just kind of there but yeah i know that you've got stuff to say (laughs) about what's her name
4: (laughs) well i think that's a that's a problem right is we don't actually have her name no my i have a significant beef with her which is which is nonsense but absolutely accurate which is there is no way as a It's a teenage Latina in L.A. that she does not speak English Mm -hmm. because she's got it as the daughter of the family. She's the one that's doing all the translation for her parents. Mm -hmm. So it made me it was ridiculous to me that she spoke absolutely no English because somebody has to translate at the doctor's office. Somebody has to translate at the supermarket. Somebody has to translate when they go to buy a bus
2: pass and it's Mm -hmm. going to be the teenage daughter. That's my big beef with her. And I was reading. The actress actually can speak um, Spanish fluently. Oh yeah, and they still dubbed her over.
4: Apparently, like the her her voice just she didn't project enough, and so they had to dub it.
2: But I feel like her main role in there is. I mean, they felt like Turbo needed a love interest. But the thing is, the way Turbo dresses, the love interest I don't think should be a woman. Yeah,
0: (laughs) he does not. He does not project the most heterosexual vibe in this movie it is true
2: (laughs) i know it's the 80s but and he
4: like they set like a fashion look that a lot of people emulated the Mm. 80s were a confusing time
0: like this movie and this is like the first one that i know of but i know this definitely became a thing where you know and again it's specifically boogaloo shrimps costume that's like if you know you've got like a teenage I'm, street gang is overstating because that's really not you know what the street crews vibe is but if you've got a street gang in in a 1980s and even early 90s movie like this you must be must be in want of a sergeant pepper jacket like <laughs> <laughs> you would see so many sergeant pepper jackets on street gang members in in the 80s and 90s and i really feel like you're seeing that here with 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 turbo because he, he has a band jacket pretty much for, for a significant portion of this movie. Who, who's the more camp street
6: gang, the, the rival gang in this or the warriors.
0: Yes.
5: <laughs>
0: <laughs> Fair enough. <laughs> yeah. So I was reading recently that breaking one, like the reason that this movie came out so soon after the first one, two reasons. When was that, you know, for all of his, his weirdness and, and, other stuff that's going on. Monaco Golan was very good at gauging trends. And it was like, we need to rush break into the theater and we need to get the second one in as fast as humanly possible because this fad is going to be over before the end of this year. So we got to get the second movie in. But I guess apparently, nobody understood this, the first movie was like one of, at that time, one of the most successful low-budget indie films of all time. Like based on... Like budget going in and box office coming out. Like the first movie made something like 40 times its budget, which isn't hard when you've got next to no budget. But like, with the, as successful as Breaking One was, there was no possible way Breaking Two wasn't going to happen. <laughs> you know, and Breaking Two did, did well, but it did not do the monster numbers that Breaking One did. Hmm. That makes sense. Also, Galan just loves the word boogaloo. It's just such a weird word to get fixated on.
2: <laughs> yeah, and it's kind of unfortunate that in the last few years that term has been associated with a racist movement. Yeah.
0: And I guess we, we all have Tom Servo to thank for that.
3: <laughs> I'll be coming for her, and I'll be coming for you too. Sure, you will. And I'll be waiting. about to enter a world unlike any you've ever seen before where rock and roll is king the only law is a loaded gun where the beautiful
1: stay and see the show it's really good the
3: brutal i want tom cody and the brave all meet from now on it's for real in streets of fire hours universal pictures presents michael Pare, diane lane Rick moranis and amy madigan in a walter hill film streets of fire all
0: right next up we uh will you uh came to us and suggested uh streets of fire can you tell us a little bit about this movie please
2: Okay, well, Streets of Fire. Um, it takes place in what might be the fifties, but could also be the eighties. Could be it's just another time, another place. Um, it takes place in a city district called Richmond. Uh, a famous singer, Ellen Aim, who's uh, who used to be, you know, from the area. Of until she got big, she's come home for like a charity concert. Um, and in the middle of one of her performances, a lo- a biker gang from another district in town called the Battery um breaks in they're led by a guy named um raven and they kidnap her and take her back to the battery um one of the people at there is a local diner waitress reva who gets her brother tom who used to be ellen's boyfriend until he went off you know to join the army and he was in the war or a war <laughs> any number of wars anyway he um comes home and pretty much gets hired by Ellen's kind of very sleazy um manager played by Rick Moranis to go and save Ellen. Um he and they end up also recruiting another former soldier a woman named McCoy and they they go to the battery to sa- to save Ellen. They save her. They come. they have a hard time getting back because like basically they ended up practically blowing up like the battery in the process. And so it's pretty much the, they take some like half the movie just skip back to Richmond because they have to go through all these different ways of doing it. They get back. There's a final fight between um, Tom, Cody and the and like the evil leader of the street gang um, who's played by Willem Defoe. And at the end like Ellen has like her fine has like a big performance, and Tom pretty much just just like he's he goes off to do whatever else.
0: <laughs> it's funny. It almost sounds like you need a murder board to uh, keep track. of, all of that. <laughs> Um, thank you, Will. Uh, so yeah. before we get into it, I'm actually going to take the opposite tech I used to take. Had anybody actually seen this before, other than Will? No, this is almost everybody's first time seeing it. Okay, Will, why did you bring us this? Why did you pick this?
2: Okay, so this is a movie. Like, I want to say last year, um, Chris Johnson had um, posted a, that he was seeing this. Um, like in, I want to say thirty, he was seeing this like actually on film at a theater, and I was like, and he, it was just the poster. And I was like, I've never heard of this movie before. I looked up a trailer. I was like, okay how have I never heard this movie before I went to watch it and it was just like, Holy shit. Uh, I, I, I absolutely love this film. I ended up like going and I bought it on Blu-ray when shop factory was doing like their big sale, like recently. And it was just like, I was like, okay, cool. I need mean, to make it my point to show as many people as film as possible because I, I mean, it's a film I think I I absolutely love just because it's like this. I like the weird aesthetic of it. Like it, it's it's almost the 50s but not quite the 50s like it's not and it's not trying to be that it's like just taking place in this really giant city that apparently you need like you know three different modes of transportation to traverse if you don't have a car and i don't know it's just like i think also part of why i love it is like the general aesthetic even though the people who made on the at Capcom, who made Final Fight, said they never saw this movie. <laughs> like literally every single fighting game, like from Double Dragon to um to Final Fight to um a literal game called Streets of Rage. Oh yeah, I, I, I
6: kept calling this Streets of Rage in my head until I sat down. Yeah. I what, uh, <laughs> but maybe because I had been playing a lot of Streets of Rage on the Xbox. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs>
2: Like a lot River City Ransom, like almost all of them have a very similar plot of Street Gang kidnaps the leader, um the main character's girlfriend, and they have to go and save her.
5: Okay.
0: Do you actually like this movie? I guess is the other than just the
2: I absolutely, like literally I gave it five stars in Letterboxd.
0: Oh, wow. Okay.
2: Mind you, I gave cool. showgirls five stars in Letterboxd. Well, but, we understand you know, that
0: things are a little uh, skewed the- in the Ackerman House. Yeah.
2: <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> it's a film that I I will say, it's a film I unironically love.
0: Okay. That's, thank you. That's that's fair. Uh, Dave, I think I would like to go to you next, if that's okay. Uh, you, your first time seeing this, what did you think?
6: Uh, well, I realized I'd seen photos of this once I saw William Dafoe. Mm-hmm um so yeah uh, yeah oh look it's rick moranis i kind of perked up when i sort of noticed (laughs) he was in this um it's weird because like the first half hour 40 minutes of going to rescue ellen Mm -hmm. is pretty good like it follows you know a bit of a structure and sort of you know you've got the kind of you know that the hard bitten guy who picks up a sidekick and they go off to do the rescue and everything. Kind of after the rescue happens is where the wheels start to come off for me. Mm-hmm. Um, just because I think that everything up to that point is done quite well, and it feels like that maybe should have been stretched out a bit more because it, it sort of flaps around, trying to find something to do with itself after that until it gets to the final confrontation between William Defoe and the main guy, uh, Tom. Well, but the climax is pretty good. Is it's that kind of middle third where it starts to kind of sort of like it's a good start, it's a good end. There's some stuff happening in the middle. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, I I loved uh McCoy.
0: Mm-hmm. Thought
6: she was a great character. Um I <laughs>
0: think Madigan's character? Yeah.
6: Yeah. Yeah. Uh yeah, I thought she was fantastic in this. I was I, I, I was kind of I, I in a way, I think it's like considering the lead guy who plays Tom is surrounded by actors who are much, much better than him <laughs> and would all go on to do much more high profile things than him, kind of doesn't do him any favors. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I mean, it's, it's great that got they've got such a good cast, but the, uh, the the leading man is left behind a bit, I think, by, um, by everyone else around him. I like, like Rick Moranis. Like, he brought everything I think that character should have, you know, that he kind of like the weasel manager who doesn't want to, you know, doesn't want to get directly involved and wants to kind of give orders and throw money around instead. Right. Yeah. That was all fine. Uh, yeah. I like the look. Like Will says, it's kind of like in a nondescript time, it could be the future. I got a, like a bit of a Fallout, Fallout games vibe from this, mm-hmm. that kind of mixture of 50s aesthetic with kind of post apocalyptic, kind of neon kind of style to it. So I'm quite yeah, I was a big fan of the Fallout games, so I kind of enjoyed that. Uh, yeah, other, some of the action scenes were well pulled off. Um, the songs are pretty good. <laughs> it's quite funny. I, I was watching the first song that I opened it, and I went, oh, God, this sounds like a meatloaf track. And I'm watching it with Jillian, like, and she looked it up and go, yep, yeah, yep, yeah, Jim, Jim uh, what's his name, the uh, meatloaf songwriter definitely wrote it. <laughs>
0: Wendy, why don't you go ahead i can see i can see your are bursting <laughs> yeah.
4: oh, just, it's a jim steinman song it's jim absolutely it. a jim steinman song it sounds like a jim steinman
0: song
6: i was just sat there going this sounds like a meatloaf track thank you so much
7: <laughs> because i looked it up and i didn't make i didn't see that connection to meatloaf but i legit and i was telling shana this last night it sounded like something's the dashboard light something something about the dashboard, I light. I by the dashboard light. right
0: and that's him as meatloaf right yeah, yeah.
4: Yeah,
0: absolutely. What other song did he did he write?
4: The, the ultimate love song from the ultimate vampire musical, Total Eclipse of the Heart. <laughs> <laughs> and if you don't know that was written for a vampire musical, listen to it again. Yeah. <laughs> you will understand.
6: Yeah. Oh, it it's an amazing song. <laughs> he's, like, he's a great songwriter and he has a very recognizable star and but like, there's nothing wrong with that. it was just kind of like nice to have it confirmed that like <laughs> my ears weren't playing tricks on me isn't it? there's a reason why this sounds like the way it sounds like mm-hmm. um but yeah like like it was okay like i i I feel sort of like the leading man maybe as I say maybe wasn't as up to the task as everybody else, which kind of lets it down a little bit and it loses a bit of direction in the middle but like i i don't regret I don't regret watching it. But, yeah, like, I mean, I, I wouldn't say it's dire, but, like, it's one of those things Like, yeah, you can, you can see there's a... There's almost, like, there's a nugget of a better film in there. And what's there isn't necessarily... Well, as I say, isn't necessarily terrible, but I can see, like, yeah, God, this could almost be so much better if they could just kind of, like, a, maybe, like, another rewrite of the script or, you know, just because just like, the pacing of it just felt really off to me. Just sort of, like, yeah, we kind of rushed through to... Through the rescue, we like half an hour, and then the, and then we got to wait
0: another half an hour until the final confrontation,
6: and that just kind of fell off. Yeah.
0: Okay. Um. Yeah, I think a lot of that is. Uh, I think all of it is actually very, very fair. Uh, Mike, how about your side, Wendy? I know I, I definitely want to wrap you up. Wrap up, Mike.
5: <laughs>
0: Mike, can you tell me uh, what you were thinking about this? Yeah, I like this a lot, except the lead. Like. <laughs>
7: I was 100% pulled into this world because it reminded me of the um, Batman the animated series Gotham. Is it the 40s? Is it the 80s, early 90s? What is it? And I kind of dug that. I also looking at it was like, Tim Burton took a lot of visual cues for this for his Batman movies. Mm-hmm. A lot of just the way, just certain ways it was shot. It, like just, just little bits here and there. I could get a burton on that. So, Oh yeah. Yeah. No, I'd agree with you there. Like, there were bits of that kind of Chicago set. It was like,
6: that, did Tim Burton just nick a bunch of this for Gotham and paint it blacker? Right. It didn't dawn <laughs>
7: on me until this, how much of Chicago influences Burton's Gotham when the Batmobile's is driving down the street, and you can Ooh. see the the pylons or whatever holding yeah. up the uh, the L tracks, I'm like, oh, duh. But so I was really into this, and it's like, but the lead, I can't. He's he's trying. He's trying so hard. He really is. <laughs> and I liked him when he shows up and he's at the diner. And he takes the coat off. And you're like, yeah, tough guy. But he never quite gelled with this world. I'm like, is he? He felt a little too 80s for the 50s part. <laughs> but not quite believable enough for the tough guy part, even though I wanted to believe it, you know, mm. everything else around him, they had me all in, you know, the, the only other thing that really pulled me out was when we saw, and what was her name? Ellen, right? Diane Lane's character. Yeah. And I didn't even realize that it was her until I yeah. was looking up the cast. I was like, Holy crap. That was Diane Lane. Was, I think it's the second, like after she's freed, we see her on stage. And I'm like, that's Stevie Nicks. That's singing. <laughs> and I looked it up, and sure enough, that song—it was called uh, its like "Who's Your Master" or something. I, I like super something sorcerer, sorcerer. That's it. I'm like, I'm sorry, Stevie Nicks. And again, I said this to Shayna last night. Stevie Nicks' voice is so Stevie Nicks that, like, I got pulled out because I knew it wasn't the actor singing the song, and it's such a weird thing to be pulled out on. But I was, um, and it's no, also.
0: I, love- I, I don't mean. To, I'm sorry to interrupt, Mike, but oh. it's also like for me, it was like. You've got song, you've got Jim Steinman and Stevie Nicks. These two don't <laughs> quite fit. <laughs> uh huh. But yeah, so this
7: is one I, I will see again. I will give it another shot because I want to like it more than I did. But yeah, the lead, I just could not get behind him. I really couldn't. I'm not saying it's a perfect movie, I wouldn't rate it a five out of five god yeah.
5: sakes
2: <laughs> <laughs> hey, these are all... sorry will <laughs> hey no 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 i knew, I knew what i was getting into here but
7: look look this is spice world guy saying i i the uh, glass houses right okay so whatever but yeah no this 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 was fun i did dig it will come back to it just i don't even know who i would have cast at the time i just would have cast someone else for, for the lead so I'm and, I, and i believe that. that
0: this does pop up at the music box from time to time yes it
7: does that's actually how i kind of knew about it or at least the poster i knew nothing about this i i might have known defoe was in it but i I love the poster i really love that poster and that's always kind of made me go i kind of want to see this but then actually seeing it i'm like
0: okay except for the lead uh, yeah Yeah.
2: okay
0: all right wendy let's have it (laughs) (laughs) bracing
6: bracing
4: (laughs) So I have like seven, literally seven lines of notes on this entire movie, and we have already discussed four of them. <laughs> um, because I, I also turned to Danny like, like thirty seconds into that first song, like that sounds exactly like a Jim Steinman song. It was. Um, so I feel like this movie was like Blade Runner meets Grease two, like without the music, um, or maybe without the dancing um visually it was confusing like others have said like are we in the past are we in the present are we in the future it's like some kind of weird retro slash future dystopian landscape but it looked it was interesting to look at it was interesting stylistically even though i couldn't really place like where we were but that didn't so much matter the other big feel i had about this movie is i just kept like like why does this feel like eddie and the cruisers why does this feel like Eddie and the Cruisers? And it's because Michael Paré is Eddie from Eddie and the Cruisers. And I don't know what else he has done, but he is absolutely the same guy in both movies. The
0: thing uh, that I know him from is he was the lead. I want I keep to say sweat hog, but that's obviously not right. In Greatest American Hero. Like in the years when Ralph was a, like they paid more attention to Ralph, like William Cat's character as a teacher. He was like the lead juvenile delinquent in that he was like a regular character on greatest American hero for a couple of years. Okay.
4: Um, other than that, like it was, it was weird for me to see Rick Moranis in this because he, I know Rick Moranis as like the lovable nerdy figure. He eventually kind of started portraying as his like meat and potatoes. Like whenever you most of the films that you think see most of the films that you remember him from he is kind of like that lovable, goofy guy, and here he's just like a tough guy asshole and it was disconcerting
1: mm-hmm.
4: um and other things that were disconcerting were um like Willem Defoe's leather onesie thing, which I was not <laughs> yeah. a fan of. It was it's very like, upsetting. What the fuck is it? What
2: is that? He's wearing waiters. (laughs) Waiters at the leather bar. What is happening? And he's shirtless. Also, it's just (laughs) like I don't know. I don't know how I'm supposed to feel here. Am I turned on? Am I not (laughs) turned on? Gimp hillbilly. Like do I feel bad about
4: myself (laughs) for being turned on?
6: After we're done here, me and the boys are off to catch some trout. <laughs>
4: <laughs> and is trout code for something?
2: <laughs> Do you have a whip for the trout? Is that how you're going to catch it? You're going to whip it directly out of the water?
4: <laughs> is this some new thing at the leather bar? I don't understand. Um, I don't know. It confused me. I, I think that I didn't care for it. Like, there were some elements that were kind of interesting. Um, You know, I did like... um the soldier character like she she was kind of interesting but also underutilized maybe um diane lane's character was annoying she's gorgeous in this she's like mm-hmm. she's a baby what is she like 19 in this movie mm-hmm. yeah. yeah um she's like ethereally beautiful in this movie and very out of place in this like dirty gritty metropolis kind of place
0: Wendy, have you but i don't fabulous, know have you seen the fabulous stains Okay, because, yeah, she was in that as even younger oh. than this. She's like the lead. Yeah,
4: but she's, in this one, she's really, like, they're really playing up how gorgeous she is, right? Um, God, I love that movie. But other than that, like, the seventh line of notes I have is just, in all caps, awful. I thought this movie was awful. <laughs> <laughs> and I just gave up and stopped taking notes um i don't know that it really has a lot of redeeming qualities it's a movie from the 80s um if you like this kind of thing then it's for you it was not for me i don't have any interest in a rewatch i I admire everybody who's like i want to watch it again and see if i can find something in it i don't know that there's much to be found unless you're into the whole leather onesie kind of situation
0: <laughs> i bet this would be interesting in an, in an audience though maybe yeah you kind of piggyback on what everybody else is saying the look of this movie is fascinating um it looks and feels great it's funny that we're kind of all going like or, or many of us anyway are kind of pointing to video games um because again it's got this 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 definite 40s or 50s 50s really um mixed with an 80s sensibility but i was picking up uh cyberpunk off of a lot of this like some of the the really gritty dangerous looking parts of it were feeling very very cyberpunk 2077 which is again right along the same lines as like blade runner and like max headroom uh aesthetic going on here as well um yeah it just it looks and feels great i cannot stress the okay walter hill directed this uh, again he did the warriors along with a lot of other things and he chose to write the lead character tom in a very neo-noir hard-boiled style which is super hard to pull off it is incredibly difficult to deliver that kind of dialogue and not look like an asshole and michael pare is just not up to it um here's the thing a role like Tom does not, you don't need to be a great actor to play a role like Tom. You need to ha- be like a firestorm of charisma though. And he's just not right. That for me was the real is it, less about his, his not being a great actor and more about him just being super wooden. That really ruined that main character for me in a big way. Um, like you have to be charming as fuck to get away with playing this character. And if he just wasn't, you know, um, and that's a real problem, especially when you're surrounded by Amy Madigan and Rick Moranis, you know, and Willem Dafoe, who was just dripping, just pure ham and cheese <laughs> in this movie. He got the note. He understood exactly what the assignment was and he absolutely nailed it he is a he is a batman villain in this movie and that is exactly what they asked him to do and he is just basically playing norman osborne 20 years early right <laughs> you know, that's kind of what he's doing here and he's brilliant he's like you know again in his leather overalls and his wolverine haircut right <laughs> you know. he's fantastic but it really is let down in a big, big way, by its by its main character or by its main actor, I should say. Um, it's a very, very difficult job that he was given, and he just wasn't up to it, unfortunately.
6: Well, like, and, like ten years later, it would have been a really good Keanu Reeves role.
0: Mm, yeah, it would have. It would have exactly. Yeah, this is the, exactly the kind of role that Keanu does extremely well.
2: Yeah, I definitely can see some giant mnemonic vibes mm-hmm. from the yeah. Yeah, yeah, and i I am for I am firmly with you that Michael Perret is you know I have a dumb, stupid crutch on him in the film, but it. yeah, as far as actors go, uh, yeah, he is kind of like the weak. He is the weak link. Yeah, like, like looking I, at his filmography, like he basically does um freaking Uva Bowl films, and now yeah. that's about it. Like he was in every single Blood Rain.
0: Yeah, like I get that he was somebody that they were trying to make happen for a little while, and just didn't work. You know. Like again, he was pretty good in Eddie and Eddie and the cruisers, but he wasn't really asked to do very much in Eddie and the cruisers. (laughs) So you've got you've got that kind of going on. The other thing for me personally is the music, generally speaking, wasn't to my taste. So I'm not I'm gonna have a hard time getting into your musical if that's the case. Right.
5: Mm -hmm.
0: You know, but that's that's a purely subjective thing. The only other note that I really had. Is that like the big hit from this movie? The I've I've been I've been dreaming about you. Just doesn't fit stylistically with any of the other mu- music in this movie. It's so jarring.
2: Yeah, it It definitely has that breakaway pop hit, yeah. like you know, vibe to it that you get in like so many musicals where it's like, oh. Here's the one thing that is basically being made to get covered by Barbara Streisand or whoever and it's going to be big, but also you're not going to ever... It works outside the context of the musical and it's like uh, I've never really been into that usually. But I had no
0: idea it was in this movie until I heard it in here. I just thought that it was, you know, a big pop song from 1984. But yeah, other than that, honestly, I don't have a lot to say about this movie. It it looks great. Um. But that's honestly all I've got going for it. Other than like you know, again, some of the some of the performances are, are really nice. Other than other than the movie's lead,
5: yeah.
2: <laughs> I mean, you have you have a lot of really random actors that are just like in in like one off roles. Like leaving plays like one of the bikers who you <laughs> most people King. remember him more as Mr. Body in Clue.
5: Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. Um.
2: <laughs> Yeah, Lynn Thingpen, who you once Mm -hmm. again you know her more as the chief in on who on where in the world is Carmen San Diego is just a um, is a train operator at one Mm -hmm. point. Um, E.G. Daly, who plays like the random groupie, Mm -hmm. is the fucking voice of Tommy Pickles, yeah, among other things.
4: And she's E.G. Fucking Daly from every (laughs) eighties movie ever. (laughs) Yeah.
2: (laughs) Who was
7: the homeless the the homeless fellow who gave them? The tip on they were they're already going anyways. I recognize them, but I that, that was it. That was at Beckley Jr. Yeah.
0: Yes. There we go. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, two of the doo-wop group were uh, Robert Townsend and uh Michael T. Williamson, Bubba Gump.
2: Oh, oh okay. Well wow. Yeah, I mean the film is just filled with all these like random actors. So it's like, I know you from something that I and yeah, I mean that is just Oh some...
0: and Bill Paxton. Yeah,
2: yep. Bill Paxton.
0: <laughs> <laughs> that's right. Bill Paxton. That's right.
2: Mm. totally forgot about him.
0: Sorry, Will, I I apologize. No, oh, don't worry, don't worry, don't worry. But yeah, this this whole movie is just, hey, it's that guy, the musical.
7: Yeah. Um, I do have one question. Sorry if it's relevant or not, but was Amy supposed to be queer-coded? Oh yeah. I feel like it, yeah. That, oh, that's what I thought yeah. because she's constantly like, You're not my type, you're not my never mind the the way that she's dressing in a and i say this with rolled eyes and air quotes a more masculine style right but like Mm -hmm. but what they got her doing in the era that's being set the era it's being made and i mean at one point she tells the cops hey a lot of you got a bunch of cute butts but she's constantly like you're not my type you're not my type i'm like i think i know what's going on here Mm -hmm. but it being 84 you never quite can tell you know yeah i don't think there's
0: any any question that, that that she was meant to be queer
7: i will say too when the movie ended I actually did, despite not being totally in on Tom, did kind of want a sequel. I mm-hmm. want Tom and Amy just driving around in that badass car, solving crime, causing crime, saving people. Like, I kind of want like a sequel to this. I, yeah. even though it wasn't well, up there for, you know, so. Hmm. Apparently, this was meant to be the first of three films originally. Yeah. Yeah.
2: But it bombed at the box office. So it's like, okay, we're not making our tri- our our Tom Cody trilogy, which, you know, <laughs> Eh. listen I would rather have a Amy Madigan led trilogy than anything else Mm -hmm. they did make a sequel without you know technically being a sequel because it's like these are two of the same actors in this film in this case Tom and his sister in a movie that's directed by Albert Pion who you (laughs) may remember from um, Sword and the Sorcerer I was gonna say, situation. Tom Cody will return in Tales of an Ancient Empire. <laughs> it's like it is one of those movies where it's like I know this is exists. I never need to actually watch it though because I see <laughs> who's directing it and that it's straight to DVD and it came out like over twenty years later. Yeah, no, I. I it's probably. I, I'm good. good. I'm yeah.
0: good. <laughs> oh, Albert Pune, man, he tried. Yeah. He did.
2: Kudos for trying for so hard and so long, but in the end, it doesn't even matter.
6: Yeah. <laughs> um. Oh boy.
5: <laughs> yeah.
0: You know it's funny too because you know you see Rick Moranis in this movie and he's obviously playing hugely against type or or what would become his type. Um, and I'm not sure it works. I'm not sure that he does tough guy so well. It's so funny too because if you watch him on SCTV, he kind of was the young cool guy on that show. Yeah. <laughs> you know, like he wasn't like what you think of. Like when you close your eyes and think of Rick Moranis, honestly, what you're thinking of is, you know, Lewis or or mm-hmm. the uh, Honey, I Shrunk the Kids. The kids, yeah. You know, character Or Seymour. He, or Seymour, yeah. yeah. He, wasn't, he wasn't that guy until those movies.
4: Yeah. But yeah, this, I was this, reading. Like I, his his early shtick was like an insult comic, mm-hmm. which is so bizarre to think about. Yeah, when we think about like what we think of him as when we look back in his career,
0: it's so funny. His like one of the things that he was most famous for on that show is he did a, an impression of George Carlin that was so devastating that it pushed George Carlin into becoming like the angry shouty guy that he became in his late career.
2: Oh huh. That's just that's that's insane to me.
0: Yeah. Like he pushed George um, Carlin into being the guy that we remember from when we were kids.
2: Yeah, and then (laughs) Moranis basically at some point was just like, "Okay, I'm going to get enough royalties where I never need to act again, so I'm not going to." Mm
5: -hmm.
2: Yeah, like so many people when they decide to retire, they they work, they retire for like maybe a decade, and then they're like, "Actually, I think I will go back to doing film." And
4: well, didn't he retire to take care of his kids because his wife died?
2: Yeah, yeah,
4: yeah. And then when he tried to do a comeback, like remember like he was it was like maybe the kids are grown, maybe I'll do some small things here and there, and then somebody randomly like punched him in the face in the street.
5: Mm-hmm.
4: And like And like
0: the world arose as one. <laughs> like, how <laughs> dare you
7: <laughs> Keep your hands off, oh, frick Marathas? <laughs> I will say what I what I liked about him, what was his name, Billy Fish or yeah. something Ooh, like that? Yes. Mm-hmm. What I liked about him in this movie is that unlike, and I don't mean to keep bragging on him, but unlike the lead, he purposely didn't fit this world. Yes. He thinks he's the smartest guy in the room. He's clearly the richest guy in the room, Mm -hmm. you know? And he constantly thinks he can boss people around because he can buy himself out of trouble. And he never even really sees himself in trouble. If things start getting sideways, he's got got a dozen different exits, you know? (laughs) He thinks he can pay off those cops. And those cops are like, that's cute. We're going to take the money. You're too fucking eager to buy us off. (laughs) <laughs> you know and he stops being the smartest guy in the room because you got these corrupt fucking cops you know so i kind of dug that he was completely not right not right for this world but in the right way if that makes sense so the fact that i'm i see that it is rick moranis and i'm seeing rick moranis worked for it for mm-hmm. me you know it would been interesting to have seen this in 84 before he became what we know him as to see what I would think, but I can't do that, so I view it this way. You know? Yeah,
0: because this movie came out I want to say this movie came out like a month before Ghostbusters. <laughs> <laughs> wow! So, I
2: like, before it was a weird film year for film, it was yeah.
7: such a weird year for film. <laughs> isn't it Gremlins and Ghostbusters on the same day? Yeah, yeah, yeah,
6: mm-hmm. yeah, yeah. I do love the fact that apparently Joel Silver was one of the producers behind this and was so convinced that this was going to be a hit. So wow, Joel, that that cocaine's doing wonders for you, isn't yeah. it?
0: <laughs> and I, I just, I just, again, I know we've we've mentioned it, but I, I want to just get across just how fucking good Willem Defoe is. Yeah. Yeah. Oh,
5: so good.
2: <laughs> I also would have watched, uh, settled for a sequel, it's just Willem Defoe, you know, getting his biker gang back together.
5: Yeah. yeah,
6: just I mean, to be fair, that shot when he's in his waders walking through the fire, mm-hmm. like yeah. confronting Tom, you know, like that just that was shot really well and just felt like a proper kind of hero villain face-off, which was again let down by the fact that the guy
2: playing the hero was really flat. Yeah, otherwise yeah. it would have been like really good. Yeah, and that scene at the end where like the 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 fight scene with the sledgehammers. First off, <laughs> you know that took like I guess apparently like five weeks to shoot,
5: wow. mm-hmm.
2: just because they had between like the actual you know two actors shooting and then their stunt doubles.
6: Yeah. Did this like go like 14 million over budget or something like that? It was, it was
0: just insane
6: like the amount of money they were spending on it. And the thing is, like the fight with the hammers is all fine and pleasant, but it doesn't really catch fire until they both kind of drop the hammers and then it gets properly violent. <laughs> but before <laughs> that, it, before that, it's a bit of a Star Trek fight. <laughs> <laughs> and then, once the hammers go down, like people are diving into each other, punching, this high kicks and stuff. It's just like, mm-hmm. like, like you shouldn't have bothered with the hammers. This is going much better without hammers.
0: I know. Hammers and before are that, he's like, everything. before that, he's like sniping motorcycles and blowing them up with a single bullet. <laughs> <laughs> yeah,
6: yeah, so, someone unlocked the explosive ammo cheat.
0: <laughs> <laughs> well, because I mean, again, Walter Hill directed this, and this is like right after he had done 48 hours. So he was like in his phase where the studio was letting him do whatever the fuck he wanted. Yeah. <laughs> he and the trailer, the
2: huge hit. And the trailer itself says, "From the director of Forty Eight Hours."
0: Oh. You know,
6: <laughs> from the director of Forty Eight Hours comes whatever the hell this is.
0: Because <laughs> yeah. he did again. He did both Forty Eight Hours. He did the Warriors after this. I think he would do Red Heat, the Arnold Schwarzenegger, yeah. Jim Belushi, buddy cop movie. He's got a definite style and and like he wrote the screenplay for the getaway the steve mcqueen movie Mm -hmm. nice but he's he's got he's got a genre he's got a a thing he does very very well Mm -hmm. um this probably should have been a better movie this definitely should have been a better movie than it was but it seems like it's just it's just it's got that he's a nobody's saying this is the movie where nobody's saying no to him Mm -hmm. for anything and so it's just it's just too much. The stuff that works works really well, but the stuff that doesn't work is because it's too big.
7: Mm-hmm. Who was it that said this? that the foe felt like a Batman villain in this? That was me. I said that. That was you. I need a sequel to this, said mm-hmm. 40 years later. Where he and Uma Thurman's Poison Ivy team up. <laughs> There's no Batman.
1: There's yeah. no Batman.
7: No Robin. No Batgirl. I don't even fucking care. I just need them to go do shenanigans in Gotham <laughs> City together because this is clearly pre-Batman Gotham City. This is before Michael mm-hmm. Keaton comes on the scene yeah. and does this thing. That's what I need in my life. We can finally get a Willem Defoe Joker. Yeah,
0: <laughs> we'll, just, we'll just we'll just have Willem Dafoe and Uma Thurman camping it up all over Chicago. Yeah. <laughs>
6: I'm for the that.
8: Ladies and gentlemen,
3: whether you'll like it or not. Ow! Don't you know me, Kansas City? I'm the new Berlin Wall. Try and tear me down. How did some slip of a girly boy become the internationally ignored song stylist barely standing before you? Damn, it. I can't believe you're not a girl. Looks like we got some... Sugar Daddy's in the house. You could give me a cavity, honey. Now you're interested, how? Itch, yeah. not itch. Intrigue. It is clear that I must find my other half. But is it a he or a she? Can two people actually become one? The dark and noise of this wicked little town. It's a in the late mid-80s, I was in my early late 20s. I never knew that woman before that night, and I never knew she wasn't a woman. I've got a sweet two songs exploded out of really us. We were outgrossing monster trucks in Wichita. When it comes to huge openings, a lot of people sugar think daddy. of me. If you've got some sugar I had tried singing once, and they threw tomatoes. So after the show, I had a nice salad. Ladies and gentlemen, thank you, both of you. How you put a bra in a dryer? How many times do I have to tell you? You don't put a bra in a dryer! It warps! Okay, everybody. I some makeup. And the Angry inch. When I think about all the people I have come upon in my travels, I have to think about the people who have come upon me.
0: Yeah. All right. And last up, we found ourselves uh, watching Hedwig and the Angry Inch. And uh, before we start, I'm just going to say right now, I'm going to try really hard i hope i hope i hope i don't say anything too egregiously stupid um you know coming to this as a cisgender person i mean well you know i i mean i i'm not i mean nothing but respect for and if i say anything stupid i apologize and please call me on it um wendy can you tell us what this movie is about please
4: yeah Um, So, Hedwig and the Angry Inch um, came out in 2001. It's a comedy musical, which is based off of an off-Broadway show that opened in uh, 1998, which was itself based on an act developed at a drag show um, that ran consistently um, starting in 1994. And 13 years after this film was out, Hedwig would premiere on Broadway in 2014, um, so it's written, directed, and starring John Cameron Mitchell, um, with music and lyrics by Stephen Trask. Uh, this film is the story of a slip of a girly boy from communist East Berlin and how she became the internationally ignored song stylist, <laughs> barely standing before the audience, um, at the local chain restaurant themed, um, around seafood, um, Playing in the, the, their dumpiest uh, locations all across the country as, as they follow the tour of the hot new glam rocker Tommy Gnosis. Um, Hedwig was raised in East Berlin, was expelled from university, and, um, a young Hedwig, then known as Hansel, um, met Luther, an American GI, um, while sunbathing one day. Luther offered to marry Hansel and take him to the U.S., but in order to be free of, communist uh, East Germany, uh, Hansel was going to have to leave a piece of himself behind. Um, in his new life uh, as Hedwig in Junction, Junction City, Kansas, Hedwig finds herself um, abandoned, destitute, um, and falling in love with the son of the army officer for whom she babysits. Hedwig and Tommy um, find each other fall deeply in love and kind of create a creative firestorm of music. Um, And everything is going beautifully until one day Tommy crosses a line he has not crossed before and wants to have a relationship with the front of Hedwig. Um, And he is, he runs away terrified of what is Hedwig's angry inch. Um, the film is sometimes laugh out loud funny. Sometimes it's absolutely devastatingly heartbreaking. Um, but it's it's a beautiful film. It's the story of Hansel's journey to Hedwig, looking for their other half and finally learning how to heal and love themselves.
0: All right. Thank you very much, Wendy. Um, was this anybody's first time seeing this? Uh, yes. Okay. Uh, were you familiar with the story or the show at all before...
6: I I was vaguely aware of it. I, okay. I, I've i seen, i would heard little bits and bobs of it, but I actually sort of sat down and watched the whole thing.
0: Okay, cool. How about yourself, Mike? I, not really. No, okay. I just, I knew it by name
7: and that's pretty much it. Okay, cool. And it was a musical and it was right. it. Okay.
0: Mm-hmm. Uh, so Wendy, I know that this was one that you kind of brought to the table initially. Um, why, why is that? Like, what was it? <laughs> Like, what's your history with the show what did you want i
4: love this movie i saw it on its first theatrical run i've seen it several times in the theaters both when it's officially being screened as a sing-along and when it's just a sing-along because i'm there and i'm singing along (laughs) 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 i absolutely love it um it's again like it's beautiful it's sad it's kind of thought-provoking for the kind of film that it is um it really is just a beautiful story of somebody who is um, damaged very much through their family, through their environment, through people in their lives, kind of learning to make themselves whole again, and literally kind of uses the the metaphor of um, the operation that Hansel has to become Hedwig.
0: Um, Wendy, and again, just because I don't think you actually talked about it or, or like when you were doing your thing. What What is that operation? Can you, just yeah. for the sake of people that aren't so, familiar with the show?
4: Hansel desperately wants to be free and doesn't see how that can happen growing up in communist East Berlin. And um, when um, Hansel sort of falls for Luther, um, this American GI, Luther offers to marry Hedwig and take uh, Hansel and to take him away. But it's, it's 1988, I think it's right. it's before the fall of the Berlin Wall. Yeah. And Luther can't marry Hansel. Um, so what they agree to do is, um, Hansel will have, um, an operation. And I'm hesitant to use what would be the current language to talk about this. Mm-hmm. We would say gender, confer- uh, gender confirmation surgery. I think in this case, Hansel thinks of it actively as a sex change operation. Um, I don't think that, um, I don't think at this point Hansel necessarily identifies as a woman. Um, I think that Hansel just wants, freedom and this is the way to do it um so hansel has this procedure his mother's name is hedwig she gives him her passport he assumes the identity of hedwig marries luther gets the fuck out of there Mm -hmm. um and and then kind of tragically the day that luther abandons uh, abandons hedwig alone in their depressing trailer under the High voltage lines is the day the Berlin uh, Wall falls, and if Hansel had just waited another year, he could have gotten the fuck out of there. Is that did that speak to what you are asking?
0: Mostly because the like the surgery in question was botched.
4: The surgery in question is not successful. It's done by, I mean, again, I don't think there are. There's not a profession of gender confirmation clinics in communist east germany like that's just not a thing it's someone that his mom knows does a surgery for him and it goes terribly badly um and uh hedwig does not have the anatomy that uh she had hoped to have instead what hedwig is left with is is what she refers to as her angry inch
0: thank you wendy i I appreciate that but um so, yeah, so, so this is this is I mean, obviously, uh, I, you know, speaking as somebody who has lived with you for as long as I have, I know that you know, how much you enjoy this show and the soundtrack I and
1: love this show.
0: Yeah. <laughs> uh Thank you. Uh, as a movie. How do you do you like, you know, what what are you what are you takeaways of this as as a film, not necessarily as the musical, but as a piece of art in and of itself?
4: I think the film so this story's been told many different ways in many different productions, and I think one of the things that the film does beautifully is really um the costuming and the imagery is beautiful um you we know exactly who these characters are by how they dress. There's beautiful animation um that I guess was part of the original show, but they're really able to showcase the animation here. um uh, my favorite song has its own animated it's like a fully animated number, and it's absolutely beautiful. And, um, I love the, the band is on tour following Tommy Gnosis's tour. Tommy being Tommy Gnosis being the glam rock persona of her ex-boyfriend, Tommy, the small town boy from Junction City, Kansas. They're playing in a chain of seafood themed restaurants across the country <laughs> called Bilgewater's, which is a, 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 a like, it's like a dumpy red lobster. Um, where they can just automatically get a gig if they call the manager like 2 days before they book him in and they pay them whatever they pay them. And all of the patrons are are completely not into it. They know they're not happy. They don't like it. They don't it's old people going out for their squad um getting a glam rock show. But I love how they use that and how she goes out and she interacts with the audience as if everybody was there super excited to see her. And that's something that they really get to do in the film version that isn't in the live productions because the live productions, like they're just they embrace the fact that they're in a theater and they joke about being in like a dumpy shitty theater.
0: Okay. Thank you. Uh let's see. How about Mike? Um again, you 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 hadn't seen this before. What did you think of the movie?
7: I struggled with this one. Okay. Um I'm not entirely sure why. <laughs> okay. Um I really dug the music. Mm-hmm. Um, I really like the performances. The moment where um Tommy finally um, acknowledges the front, right, and she then has this. He's like, "What? What is that?" And she, she's like, "It's what I have to work with." Like I was like, "Oh my god!" Like that performance was just, you know, moving deeply, deeply fucking moving. Mm-hmm. And there were a couple of moments like that, but yeah, I couldn't entirely get into this one as much as I really wanted to once I kind of saw what was going on here
5: Mm
7: -hmm. um yeah so I didn't I didn't dislike it I want to make that clear Mm -hmm. you know nothing like that I just it never really fully hooked me for some Mm -hmm. reason and it's one I'm going to make the time to go back to because without saying too much about it and if other people want to please do of course but like the way it ends like with everything that's going on there, and this the realization, and just the the, the the literal visuals, the figurative visuals, all this and that, I'm like, there's so much going on here that I wish it had grabbed me sooner, so I felt more by the end. Yeah. Um, so that's that's kind of really where I'm I'm coming from here. I think a lot of my struggles stem from <clears throat> how old. And I'm sorry, what was uh, Hedwig's name before Hansel? Hansel. Hansel's supposed to be under age, right? No?
4: No. By the time Hansel meets Luther, he's already been expelled from university.
0: Okay. I didn't click that. I think he mentions that he was born the year that the wall went up, right? Okay. I think it was 61.
4: Okay. I think the wall goes up when Hansel is very small.
7: Okay. Okay. So I, I was getting... Because I didn't understand that, because when they meet, there's like this whole thing with like candy and stuff, right? Mm -hmm. I thought there was some grooming going on. I'm like, I don't know. And then I didn't understand. I didn't know what the ages were supposed to be when Hedwig was babysitting the person that would become Tommy or was Tommy. I didn't know what was going on there with ages. So I was getting a little, I was picking up on things that maybe weren't there and that was making me uncomfortable.
4: I think Hedwig is probably 10 years older than Tommy and Tommy is meant to be a teenager. That's what
7: I thought, if I what. I was I thought I was right about um Hansel and uh Sergeant Robinson. I was wrong there. But when it comes to Tommy and Hedwig, I was like, uh oh. And so Hedwig is already problematic in a lot of different ways, like the way she's abusive and toxic and treats her bandmates, you know, and, and whatnot. But like that piece made me go, oh, I don't know about this. You know. So I think that's that's kind of where I was getting unsettled and maybe just couldn't fully get in as much as I was like. There's a lot going on
0: here, and I really want to, you know. So, yeah. Okay. Uh, thank you, Mike. And if, if yep. we come back to it, and you're you have more, you can yep. definitely explore that. Um, Will, how about yourself? You have seen this before?
2: Yeah, I did see it before. Um, not as uh, not as early as you would think, because you know it's this kind of film, and by a general like as what I love of you know queer um musicals and everything my me actually so one of the things I find hilarious about this film is there's a short bit where after you know Hedwig has you know become big where um she's on the Rosie O'Donnell show mm-hmm. and that's actually taken from actual footage of when it was off Broadway mm-hmm. and I remember watching that episode
5: mm-hmm
2: Wow. And being like, okay, that sounds interesting. I remember like them talking about this movie in Entertainment Weekly, but then it never came to my area because I lived in the middle of bumfuck nowhere and I'm a 16-year-old. How am I ever gonna see this film? And I th- didn't actually see it until like a few years ago when um and I had actually been I may I partially had mentioned this like during our break, but it um there's an episode of fucking Riverdale. <laughs> where they are um, singing all the song, where um, one of the characters wants to do the song is like the school musical, and the principal says, um, no, mm. which, mind you, this is the same school that let their students get away with doing both Carrie and Heather's two years, the three years pr- previous to this. And... Yeah, so it's just kind of... And then I was like, okay, you know, Riverdale's going to finally do it. I need to actually finally get around to watching it. And I was, like, blown away because it's just, you know, it's just like this... It's a very... You can tell it's a very personal film, especially since um, the creator has come out as being non-binary in the year since. Mm-hmm. And, you know, there's just so much going for it. It's talking about, you know, the nature of gender, talking about, you know being about being queer it's just uh, like a lot of it speaks to me even though yeah I am cisgender I'm still gay but among other things like it's just there there's just a lot about it that I get that gels with me I mean the aesthetic definitely like just how Hedwig how Hedwig you know all of her outfits like in the film how it's just like it's very theater Mm -hmm. which but theater very theater in a good way not very theater in a okay they might as well just shot shot the stage musical way
5: okay
0: awesome thank you uh and dave yourself this was your first time what'd you think
6: yeah i thought this was okay um i didn't i'm not always great on picking up on subtext, especially for kind of deeply personal pieces of art, which I could absolutely acknowledge and see that this was. I watched this with Jillian, who's been wanting to watch this in forever, so this was like a great excuse for her to, mm-hmm. to finally sit down and watch it, and she adored it and sort of, like, she ended up pointing up lots of things to me, which I just completely missed, because I'm, I can be very literal
1: mm-hmm. when well, I
6: want to be, but yeah, the, 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 she picked up all the things of, like, you yeah, repeated themes of division, like the Berlin Wall, and the story, yeah, the story of asexual love and the two people getting split in two and you know, the constant themes of being divided that crop up through the film and yeah I, I managed to miss a lot of that because I'm not as smart as her but um, <laughs> <laughs> so I yeah I I, loved, I mean obviously the, the performances are all fantastic I, I really enjoyed the songs um I followed yeah, a lot of the parts I, I was a bit fuzzy on what was happening towards the end, but but that because it's all being played out in much in a much more kind of metaphoric way in terms of the final moments. I mean, I, I got the overall message of the, at the end of you know, Hedwig just kind of like accepts who they are and kind of goes out into the world more settled because they finally made peace with all their different all the different bits of their past, but. Yeah, I, I kind of like. I wish I'd. I wish I had. A, I'd connected with this more, but I didn't, and <laughs> that's not the film's fault. No, it's. I mean, I've, I've, again, as somebody who's never gone through those kind of questions of identity, it's always going to be something that kind of maybe doesn't land with me as well as it would do with other people or yeah the, the people who kind of pick, <coughs> who pick up on those cues better than i do yeah so i i i, I did enjoy it but i i i I ended up missing bits of it which i ended up having to have kind of <laughs> explained to me by by someone who, who got it more mm-hmm. than i did
0: yeah yeah i think that's that's extremely fair um I, I know that I've also I've struggled a little bit with this movie in the past because partly because of what you're saying uh, yourself, Dave, it's like, you know, these are struggles that I myself have not experienced and don't know what they feel like. And I also sometimes have a little bit of an issue with or, or perceive an issue where this is a movie that as we record, this is 22 years old. And thinking has evolved on a lot of the issues that this movie presents. Um, For a long time, I was very uncomfortable with the idea that Hansel becomes Hedwig. Hedwig is deeply broken. I mean, that's like from the very beginning, Hansel has had a horrible life. You know, it's not just living in communist East Berlin. You know, everything that could possibly have gone wrong for Hansel has gone wrong for Hansel becomes Hedwig is feeling themselves, and the symbol at the end of the movie is that Hedwig takes off her wig and becomes Hansel again and I always had a deep problem with that not understanding until fairly recently and, I, and this is like word of god from John Cameron Mitchell like has come on and said Hedwig is not a trans woman Hedwig is queer Hedwig is genderqueer but Hedwig does not identify as a trans woman because Hedwig has not had gender confirmation surgery because Hedwig was not again I'm not going to pretend that I get all of it because I don't struggle with those same issues I I I don't feel those same feelings but I was looking at it from a perspective that was not there and so I understand I feel like I feel a little bit better about that ending than I do than I did even a couple of weeks ago
4: well I think you know, you know, we've talked about this and I've thought about this a lot. And, um, you know, I think when Hansel has the surgery, it assumes the Hedwig identity. It never felt to me like Hedwig was who Hansel was. Hedwig was a tool to get Hansel out of where they were, they were. Mm -hmm. And that was ultimately what Hansel wanted more than anything. Hansel didn't want to be Hedwig. Hansel didn't want to have, you know, take on this new identity. Hansel just wanted freedom, Mm um, and maybe didn't even fully understand what that meant. Mm -hmm. Um, and I think it's, it's clearer to see, um, in the film, if you think about Hedwig versus, uh, her husband, Yitzhak, Mm -hmm. Yitzhak, um, there's a, there's a scene that's not, that was deleted from the film that you, if you have the DVD, it's like in the bonus features and it's the story of them meeting. And, um, when they meet, they're both at a drag show in a competition and, um, Yitzhak's um, drag persona is Crystal, but Crystal is a lot more Crystal than Crystal knocked. Crystal, yeah. <laughs> Yitzhak is not, Crystal is not Yitzhak's drag persona. Crystal is who Yitzhak is. And through the whole film, Yitzhak is pulling away, um, because he is not allowed to be who he really is. Um, no one can be prettier than Hedwig. Hedwig has to be the center of attention. Um, Yitzhak is extraordinarily talented musician and singer, and so um, is kept around, but absolutely has to perform masculinity. But that's not who they are on the inside. And this, Leah Stock's story is their story of becoming Crystal, being allowed to be Crystal, breaking free of Hedwig. And adopting their persona and it's a little without that backstory scene it's a little ham-handed because it seems like they just kind of become obsessed with getting away and taking a part in Rent Um, but it's more than that like and that's I think that kind of is the difference between those two characters and how you can kind of see that I think Hedwig is ever really Hedwig on the inside I think Hedwig is always Hansel um, and just needs to heal from the trauma of their life like their Mm -hmm. their birth as hansel their birth as hedwig their whole life in the u.s they need to heal from that um whereas as yitzhak desperately needs to be crystal Mm -hmm. and i think you can you can see that um if you have just like that little nugget of information that unfortunately the film took out Mm -hmm. that helps reframe it all
0: i don't understand why they cut that scene because it's so important to who crystal is throughout the four like you know, I mean we get several we get a couple of scenes where gets like desperately wants to put on the wig, desperately just wants to sit in the room, wear the wig and just quietly feel right, feel correct, right and never really get I mean, puts it on a couple of times, but never really gets a moment to feel like who they are on the inside. Mm-hmm. But having lost that scene, not only takes away from Crystal's story, but also honestly takes away from Hedwig's. Like, Hedwig is... And this is kind of getting into some of of, of what I feel about the movie itself. Another thing that I've always had a little bit of trouble with with the movie is that Hedwig is an extremely well-rounded and well-realized character, but it's just a terrible person. And it's just incredibly difficult to watch Hedwig be Hedwig. Just, Just watching them interact with yitzhak and andrea martin's character whose name i can't remember off the top of my head phyllis stein phyllis stein that's right i absolutely (laughs) love that name (laughs) that is fantastic you know that this that this show was uh kind of hammered out in drag clubs (laughs) but um it's very very hard such a, a understandable but deeply unlikable protagonist Like you, like I never got the feeling like we're supposed to deep down love and admire Hedwig (laughs) because Hedwig is just so awful. Like understandable. Well, yeah, but
4: they're a terrible person. They're a
0: terrible
4: person. They're a traumatized person.
0: (laughs) Yes. You know why they're like this, but they are in fact like this. (laughs) And losing that scene where hedwig makes like forces crystal to throw her wig away not only takes away from 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 yitzhak and, and you know slash crystal but honestly is a scene that really defines who hedwig is to her yeah. to her circle of people mm. you know um it's a shame that they lost that scene because it really drove a lot of things home about both of those characters um having said that the music is fantastic the yeah. music is really really good in this movie yeah just 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 absolutely terrific terrific music um and i love that the movie makes like makes no bones about just how unsuccessful hedwig and the angry Inch are as a band um you know they're doing this 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 tour of you know as when he said you know wish.com red lobsters. Um, (laughs) And that's like the best that they're probably ever going to do. Hedwig becomes famous because Hedwig was in a car accident with somebody who was way more famous and successful than she was. (laughs) Um,
2: Which I feel like Tommy becomes famous first off by stealing like Hedwig's music. mm -hmm. But also because Tommy is Pretty much represents is one of those like figures that, um, socially acceptable men, safe mm-hmm. men that girls can you know fall in love with. But when you actually top and look at, it, you're like, okay, yeah, probably kind of queer.
0: Yeah, yeah. And again, we're, we're watching all the the things that that came on the disc and things like that. Uh, Tommy is John Cameron Mitchell. John Cameron Mitchell was a you know queer son of a. Army general or whatever, you know, who was very, you know, in a like, you know, in a very religious upbringing, and and was not really able to kind of be himself until, you know, he got out from under that situation. It's a good movie. It's extremely well directed. Um, it looks great. The storyline is wonderful. I just, I, I just. It's hard for me to hundred percent really get into it. It's an easier move for me to admire than enjoy, if that makes sense. Mm. Um, But the music is good enough that I'm 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 generally able to get into it when I'm watching it. You know, despite the fact that I just just cannot help but loathe its main character, even if I sympathize with them.
6: But going back to the operation thing, I kind of read it as less that. Uh, like Hansel wanted to become Hedwig,
5: mm-hmm.
6: and more that they wanted to be with Luther, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. but because they want, yeah, you know, they wanted to get married and then move away. They wouldn't allow two gay men to do that, mm-hmm. and because Hansel looks androgynous and uh, has a feminine look, which Luther like yeah, remarks upon multiple times, that it would be again, in order to escape, and because they have to pass med yeah, they would need to pass a medical in order to go to America, that that is why they say about getting the surgery. It's not about that Hedwig wants mm-hmm. To undergo gender reassignment, it's the way that that's the way that's what they have to do if they want to get out of East Germany.
0: Yeah.
5: Yeah.
6: So it's not that sort of like Hansel has any kind of gender dysphoria. It's purely a almost like a practical thing to get past the kind of East German authorities. Yeah. But because of that, it understandably leads. But because that happens, it leaves Hansel with a, a lot of confusion about their identity, mm-hmm. not just because the surgery didn't go as intended, but also because like, even if it had gone as intended, Hansel has never considered themselves as a woman mm-hmm. inside. And so there is this confusion of the fact that he, like he, he had. Well, they have this new persona as Hedwig, which is they had to take on in order to get out of East Germany, and they're now sort of stuck with. And they are now trying to reconcile who that person is in the world, because that's you know that's not who they 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 they've been turned into somebody that they weren't initially. Didn't initially think that they were, and mm-hmm. now they have to kind of see how they fit in. And like uh, that, that whole song when they talk about sort of putting on the wig and putting on the eight track and becoming a pop star—that's mm-hmm. part of. I think that's that's Hedwig's initial reaction to it. He's like, "I can put on this costume, and I can project myself as this."
0: Like Hedwig becomes Hedwig once she discovers. The big wigs and the crazy makeup and the yeah. that is when Hedwig that she's Hedwig at that point she's not Hansel anymore at that point she becomes Hedwig and that is what kind of allows her to kind of heal from a lifetime of dysfunction and just horribleness.
4: But also, you know, I was thinking about what you had said earlier, Danny, about um, Crystal sitting in the room and desperately wanting to put on the rig to, the wig to feel the way that she wants to feel to feel herself as Hedwig is going. And and I've literally just thought of this and I love that wig in the box song. And I've always thought of it as like trying on different styles and different personas, but it's always taking the wig off and turning back into myself Mm. is kind of the refrain in that song, because ultimately that's not really who they are.
0: But at the same time, it always will be a part of who they are because that's what she needs. She needs that. Right.
4: Right. I think she needs it at that time because she needs to figure out how to survive. Right. 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 Um, And she survives doing like babysitting and odd jobs, mostly those called blow. Mm -hmm. Um, (laughs) Because she's desperately uh, and these these are all lines from the movie. Um, She's she's just desperately poor, having been abandoned by Luther in the middle of nowhere with no means to support herself.
2: Yeah. And think about the thing is, if you even take like five minutes to think about it, Luther, I mean first off, Luther is like the the real villain of the entire film. Mm -hmm. Because when you take five minutes to think about it, you're like, wait, okay, so Luther is saying they are going to do like, you know, a strip search on if if I took you ho- home as you are, you they wouldn't let you through. And it's like, but when you start to think about it, it's like, okay, if they're going to do a cavity search, first off, they would notice the fact that mm-hmm. they didn't mm-hmm. do, there was no top surgery, for starters. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So it's very much Luther just being a, mani- a manipulative asshole and Hansel's mom, who is not a good person at all, mm-hmm. just going along with it because they want Hansel gone. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and then the se- and then within a couple of years of being back in the states, okay, cool. I'm leaving you for the for this twink. Bye. Because mm-hmm. they're over? Yeah. Not they're over what they wanted from that.
6: Yeah, and I think sort of a lot of the film is about sort of how they embrace the Hedwig persona to survive, yeah. and then towards the end of the film, they realize that they don't need that anymore, and that they can. Like you know, this, this new person who is kind of, kind of not Hansel and not Hedwig either, mm-hmm. but this kind of new v- person who is kind of like a combination of both kind of walks out into the world.
4: Yeah, it's like a callback to that song, "The Origin of Love," which is that um, it's it's based on it's some, oh uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. But it's about you know how like these. Ideal beings have, you know, we're, we're, we're once two together and then we're split into two separate. And that end of the movie is about becoming whole again, like reconciling their two halves. And I feel like throughout most of the film, um, Hedwig is looking for the other half of themselves through other people. But what they really need to do is find it within themselves. Mm-hmm.
0: And in so doing.
2: And that's
0: the real beautiful part. Yeah, it is. And you know, in so doing, you know, Hedwig removes drag for lack of a better word and gives her wig to crystal allowing crystal to flourish and i love that scene of her crowd surfing it's beautiful it is Mm -hmm. That's, that's a wonderful scene um yeah it's it's i mean it's a lot and i and i i don't want to i'm terrified of saying something inconsiderate or incorrect because I don't like I don't know like exactly what, what the word I'm looking for is, you know, but I think you understand what I'm saying. I hope I do. I hope you do. Yeah, like Hedwig has a fundamental immaturity, which I think, Mike, to your point, actually goes, you know, to explaining a lot of the things that you found so icky mm-hmm. <laughs> about mm-hmm. about their interactions with both Luther and with Tommy. Yeah. Is that you know yeah. Hedwig is a grown ass person. Who is being lured by Candy?
6: Yeah. (laughs) I I mean I I mean I do think that's one of those things where it's like Hedwig has been well like Hansel has been kind of infantilized Mm -hmm. by his mother growing up. And then Luther clearly infantilized him and clearly has a predilection for younger people, Mm -hmm. as he's shown through yeah the person who he leads epic for so they've kind of gone through this kind of in, infantilization throughout their lives which kind of leads them to being quite childish and it's again it's sort of like it's their behavior isn't necessarily correct but you see it like the film completely explains why they are the way they are it's not telling it's not saying this is fine, but it's saying that the, re- the reason Hedwig is like this is because, look at all these things, people who've done this to them on the way. So, of course, they're like this.
0: This is some heavy shit for a podcast that, like, talks about shit blowing up a lot. Um... <laughs> <laughs> I mean,
2: I'll be perfectly honest. Like, beat movies. Like, you are able to explore themes that in a wide, more widely released film you could never get away with. Mm-hmm. Like, uh, the big screen version of Hedwig would have been, Hedwig would have been played by, I don't know. A... Eddie Redmayne. <laughs> I wouldn't even say Eddie Redmayne. Hedwig would have been played by Gwyneth Paltrow. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. Looking at the year this came out. Yeah. If they would have made a big screen version of this made by a major studio instead of just yeah. a film that was distributed by um, New Line's um, indie-like label. Yeah.
0: yeah.
6: But yeah, no, I'll I'll stop talking now because honestly sort of <laughs> two straight cisgendered men talking about this like is probably not the greatest analysis of this.
0: No, time. I I I get that. Um but like to your point, Will, it is true that like you know, Roger Corman can make a dozen beasts from five thousand fathoms and slip an you know and you know intruder in there, right? Yeah. Because you know, he's make he's making his money with with you know nurse movies and shit like that but he can also kind of get a social commentary movie under the radar because it's Roger Corman. Ha ha ha. right? And that's kind of, yeah. that's the beauty of, of, of this, this whole slice of Hollywood history, I think.
2: And what makes it even more hilarious is that new, this was basically new, new line at this point had been bought by Warner brothers mm-hmm. and they had, and this was, this was pretty much their last chance of being, just you know, being able to say we are an independent film studio. We don't make anything too big and notable outside of Blade a couple of years ago. Mm-hmm. But oh wait, what happens later this year? Lord of the Rings. Yeah, yeah. And from that point on, like their chance to put out a headwig just kind of fades away.
0: Yeah, the the all the the indie or small budget studios have been gobbled up yeah. by the majors and. They're kind of having their Miramax moment at this point.
4: But I also think it's relevant that this wasn't, you know, written to be a film for New Line, right? Like mm-hmm. this was developed, you know, in the early 90s. You know, we've seen some footage from like the original, uh, the, like the actual original night. There's there's some recordings. And um, some of the lines like word for word are in the film. You know, some of the lines from 1994 are in the 2001 film. And in that 10 years, I think things had evolved. And then, you know, since 2001, thing, things have evolved and we think about these things differently. In 2001, this was a fun, shiny, sparkly sing-along movie about this really fascinating character. And now I think if you want to con- consume this, you really have to think about these issues around around gender and trauma and relationships and, and being a good person and healing
2: there was a revival on broadway a few years ago if if memory serves me correctly i think that's right and like on broadway not off broadway oh Mm -hmm. yeah no it
4: was it was a uh, it was a broadway musical in 2014 um with uh neil patrick harris as Hedwig. yeah and it's i think it's been revived since there are have been regional productions i went to regional production here in boston um where local glam rock icon gene dante played hedwig um like it's 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 still out there and i assume now that it's been on broadway you know it, there can be more revivals and there can be more regional productions like i'm sure that it's a licensable thing
2: oh yeah it is and like it's, on one point john cameron mitchell i think actually came back and played hedwig while it was on broadway
4: i think he opened his hedwig for like a limited number of weeks and then um NPH took over
2: and then Darren and, chris was in there also, and it's like yeah. whatever. Yeah, well, like, well, Michael just... Michael Saveris
0: did it for a while, and yeah, it's. uh
4: And that's what they did with the original production. So not not the so it was originally kind of developed in a at a drag night as a cabaret act, and then they kind of moved and they made their own full production in New York, but off Broadway they like took over the theater in an old dumpy rundown like kind of pay-by-the-hour kind of hotel because that was a perfect place to stage this production. Um, and and he was Hedwig for a while, but eventually the role was just so exhausting. They had a rotating cast of people um, playing Hedwig at one point. Ali Sheedy was cast as Hedwig. Wow.
0: And it's funny, too, because, like, you watch this movie and, like, everything that's come since, and it's just so big and candy-coated and bright and all that. And to see, like, footage from when it was like in these horrible seedy little dumpy garbage theaters <laughs> where you can almost like hear like rats chewing on the scenery in the background.
4: <laughs> yeah. I feel like you can smell the hallway yeah. in that footage of the theater.
0: Like, like they, they they showed a scene of like John Cameron Mitchell, like going from his dressing room down to the stage and he had to walk down six flights of stairs. Like it's that kind of thing. Um, And honestly, that feels more correct (laughs) right for for this story it feels like a much grittier angrier story than what this yeah this uh at least production wise this movie gets across this movie is it's is much brighter and shinier than i think the movie would have you think it would be
4: i i will say folks who know this predominantly from the broadway production or that cast recording might be surprised that the songs are so different in the film. Mm-hmm. Um, I had a very jarring experience listening to the original cast recording the first time because the 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 arrangements, their Broadway style arrangements of these songs, mm-hmm. they don't sound right, um, yeah. and I found them very upsetting. Like I was all ready to be like a head week stand and go down to New York and do. I did not care for it. This is
0: <laughs> a genuine punk rock musical, like
4: it is trask was in punk bands
0: yeah and that is not the same as broadway like what broadway think of thinks of as 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 rock music is not the same thing
2: like that's why it's hilarious that um oh i want to play angel and rent on a Mm -hmm. cruise ship (laughs) (laughs) like if that isn't just saying where most musical theater goes eventually i don't know what does
0: yeah Like, cause I think of like, like anytime that you see rock music and I'm almost putting it in quotes here on Broadway, like, I mean, hair's got some great music, but that is not hard rock by any stretch of the imagination, right? Like things like when like the who's Tommy went to Broadway again, it's fucking Tommy. There's some great songs in there, but they totally broadwayed it up. So to see something like this come to Broadway, it doesn't sound right. It doesn't sound angry enough, right? It doesn't sound hard. It sounds like, you know, you know, you're waiting for, for, for Hedwig's big, I want song and <laughs> it, it doesn't sound the way it's supposed to sound. It's supposed to sound like this. It's supposed to sound like a bunch of people in a cramped space, crashing their instruments together and, and, and yelling at the audience.
6: Well, again, it's that kind of you know to the breaking sort into of the gentrification of uh, the experience into sort of like you know you gotta make it a bit more Broadway, which means you know softening the edges
0: we gotta make it tourist friendly yeah
5: yeah
4: we don't want we don't want the the rich white people to cancel their subscriptions,
5: yeah <laughs>
2: You can you can slap the hand that feeds you, but you can't actually chew on it. <laughs> you can you can nuzzle a little.
6: You can lick it. <laughs> You're allowed to lick the hand that feeds you. <laughs> Just don't gnaw
0: on it. Right. <laughs> Mike, I don't want to put you on the spot, but I know you've been kind of quiet uh, for this. Do you you have any perspective on anything that we're talking about? I know that, as you said, you were a little, like, not sure about what was rubbing you wrong. (laughs) Yeah, no, this,
7: I mean, I really don't mean to be quiet throughout Mm -hmm. this one. Um, But yeah, it's something I really do need to sort of rewatch and explore. And what, um, Wendy, what you had said about the deleted scene. Mm -hmm. um is really going to help me re-examine this one and the 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 relationship there and kind of where they were coming from you know so yeah yeah but I definitely will say the the moment where uh you talk right
5: Mm
7: -hmm. like the first time that they're trying to they're looking at that wig and I was like oh just try it on (laughs) <laughs> just put it on. Just put it on and look in the mirror and smile. You know. Yeah. Well, you know, I shouldn't say smile, but you know, just feel it. You know, like yeah. that was like Hedwig Hedwig being like, it's what I got to work with. It was one of those moments where it's like it was really, really resonated, you know, and really powerful, mm-hmm. you know. So yeah.
4: Is it Danny? Is it implied? I got the impression that in that cutscene, where they're in the the drag competition together, Hedwig doesn't win. Uh Crystal wins.
0: I believe that's right. I think you're right Christ- in that they don't actually say it, but I think that that the impression is that Crystal is
4: Crystal is the brighter star. Mm-hmm. Crystal is and Crystal is absolutely gorgeous, beautiful voice. Mm-hmm. Um, wins wins the night, but is a super fan of Hedwig. Most likely because of Hedwig is just completely into this, um, and 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 follows um literally kind of kind of the way that when luther left hedwig in in the trailer the boy he's running off with is like running after him carrying his suitcases crystal is or i guess at that point it's she's become yitzhak again is running after hedwig carrying her bags
0: and she actually introduces herself as yitzhak
4: perhaps i don't recall I but think, i would I believe, believe that yeah i think that she just I doesn't have the she doesn't have the confidence to be who she is mm-hmm. And that's what I think attracts her to to Hedwig, that Hedwig Mm -hmm. has the confidence to be who they are Mm -hmm. or is presenting that they have confidence to be this identity, whether or not other complex things that we've already talked about are true or not. Mm -hmm.
0: Oh, well, thank you very much, everybody. And that actually, that wraps up this season. Um, this was, this was an interesting, an interesting voyage and I'm, I'm glad that we went on it. Um, Just to kind of put everybody on the spot, because I did not say, hey, here's a thing that I wanted to do. But I did do it for the last time, so uh, I take it all back. Um, So this season, this season was kind of a long one, Um, probably too long, and I, you know, you know, this is how we learn. But um, (laughs) so this season, we watched a lot of fucking movies. Here we go. A Hard Day's Night, Head, Forbidden Zone. Aliens, Clowns, and Geeks, <laughs> Action USA, Riding Rons, Nightmare on Elm Street 2, Slumber Party Massacre 2, Trancers, Puppet Master, Beach Blanket Bingo, Beach Girls and the Monster, Shark and Saw Women's Prison Massacre, The Wicker Man, Midsumar, Fantastic Four, Tank Girl, Christmas Prince, The Royal Wedding, Repo the Genetic Opera, Tommy, Dead Heat, Deep Rising, No Holds Barred, Fighting with My Family, Josie and the Pussycats, This Is Spinal Tap, The Hobbit, Heavy Metal, This Island Earth, The Last Starfighter, The WNUF Halloween Special, Ghost Watch, and As We Record here, Cats. Does anybody like does anybody like have any strong memories or reactions to, oh, I'm so glad we watched that? That's something I discovered here. That's something I never ever as long as I live want to have darkened my doorstep again. <laughs> <laughs> like, does anybody like like have any reactions to anything that, that we that we did this year that oh uh, okay. Josie the Pussycats.
6: really yeah. enjoyed Josie unexpectedly really enjoyed Josie the Pussycats. That that was mm-hmm. a nice surprise.
5: Mm-hmm.
6: Yep. And, yeah, I will be going back to it at some yep. point. That mm-hmm. was, was just was just add the uh wx halloween special as well.
0: <laughs> the nuf yeah <laughs> whatever, whatever so some,
6: some, some letters
5: <laughs>
6: <laughs> yeah having having known that ghost you know about ghost watch for a long time to like kind of discovering there was there was like a, a u.s equivalent mm-hmm. that does the same thing but very differently was was, was a great surprise and yeah i That may well end up in my kind of Halloween rotation on a regular
0: basis. Nice. Mm -hmm. Very cool.
2: Yeah, there are a handful of films that, you know, there are ones that were on my bucket list of, hey, I need to watch this eventually, that um, Forbidden Zone and Heavy Metal are the two big ones that come to mind. And, you know, they're both like films that I always meant to watch, and I'm glad that I had a reason to. I'm glad I had people to talk to about them instead of just, okay, I'm going to watch these films, and then I might, and then I'll probably never talk to anyone about them, and I'll doubt I can't talk out my feelings. Yeah. I mean, there are, you know, some films in here that I wish I could take back, like, um, literally exact same episodes for *Forbidden Zone, the Aliens, <laughs> Aliens, Clowns and Geeks where it's like, I don't know what you were trying to do here, but okay, <laughs> sure. I mean, I think one of the things that helped with the season was the fact that Dan, you were um, trying that you were picking like the second film, the B feature in every single one, which mm-hmm. got you know some things that I would if picking Repo, I probably wouldn't have thought to match it with um match it with Tommy, for example.
0: Thank you. Yeah. Okay. I think we can all agree
6: Shark and Saw Whitman's Prison was a terrible mistake. Yeah. Oh, god yes. yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah.
4: We had not, the best of intentions. Not Jim in
0: Wynorski's finest hour. <laughs> we
4: shall
0: you shall never speak of it again.
4: If you frack, Shark must attack. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I really love I mean, not surprisingly, I really love some of the films that I picked, but I was really excited to get to talk with people about The Wicker Man mm-hmm. and Midsommar and also have that that recording as an excuse to talk about it more with my friend group. And because mm-hmm. I just I just love those movies so much. Um, I would probably never have watched Fighting With My Family, and I really enjoyed that. I thought that was a great, a great little movie. It was really nice to see um Lawrence uh, Pugh. Um, in that role, but I just, I, I enjoyed that movie. I I never would have watched that on my own. Mm-hmm.
7: So what you're saying is it was worth going through No Holds Barred. I'm not saying that. Don't try and
6: claim this is a victory, Tim. You know what you did.
2: <laughs> There's always three or four wrestling related films that we could have talked about instead. <laughs> You sit in the corner and think about what you've done. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> don't I had worry, new... I'm in a corner I had,
0: about I, what I did also. <laughs> I had so much fun with No Holes Barred, I'm not going to lie. That <laughs> one was awful, but it was a lot of fun for me.
7: <laughs> what about you, Mike? Uh, Wicker Man. Honestly,
0: you know, it's one of those ones
7: where I just, you know, I knew I should see it, and I knew I should see it, and it had this rep, but I'm like, I don't know. I don't know. And mm-hmm. then finally getting to see it. I mean, that moment, I said it when we spoke about it, where it's uh, Christopher Lee, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Where he lays the trap for the cop. You know, <laughs> yeah. where he's like, well, you could leave, but, you know, <laughs> it's like, oh, man, you just like, mm, got him. You know, mm-hmm. and then <laughs> and then the ending, I mean, the way that ends where he's the, I forget the cop's name, but the way he's just like, yeah, it'll be your next year. Like, So from when the second the trap is sprung, To that whole ending, like that whole piece, I'm just like super intense, like into (laughs) it, you know? Uh, Yeah, that was, that was, that was, I was so glad to finally get to use this as an excuse to finally see that movie, you Mm -hmm. know? And uh, the one we paired that with scarred me for life. So, uh, Mm -hmm. yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, but I will forever live. And I know I'm going to butcher the line here, but the line will always stick with me. It's a bear.
4: <laughs> so, yeah. Chekhov's Bear. Chekhov's Bear. That's right.
0: Um, like, I'd seen them before, but I loved being able to talk about writing runs with everybody. <laughs> that movie was so much fun. Oh, yeah, it was uh, bonkers. Yeah, absolutely like insane movie, but like Cynthia Rothrock was so incredibly awesome. She's as was Yoon Bao, was you know, everybody. I mean, that just the action choreography in that movie was wild. And uh Action USA with it was a lot of fun.
7: I mean, it was it was (laughs) worth watching
6: Action USA purely for the sorry about your house line. (laughs) (laughs) but that was worth the entire experience. (laughs)
0: You know just so many just insane stunts That was that was so great obviously i'd seen it many times but it was so much fun to talk about head with everybody i was so glad to i'd never seen it before i was so glad to finally have a a, a reason to watch trancers <laughs> that was that was really really fun um and again no holds barred i had enormous fun with that movie even though it's awful it's a terrible movie <laughs> But it was like exactly the right kind of terrible. <laughs> you know, so, and just to have, again, just to, to to discover that, you know, it's the kind of show where you can just watch Beach Blanket Bingo for no reason.
2: I love <laughs> Beach Blanket Bingo so much.
0: You know, it's summer. Let's just watch some some 40-year-old teenagers dance on the beach <laughs>
2: <laughs> yeah, Like to the point where last night I watched um from Justin and Kelly and I recognized this is literally just a this is literally just a beach movie for now with without the charisma of those same of the leads
0: yeah yeah well I mean again I mean you know it, it's it's like, like I think we talked about it when we were talking about way back when, when we were talking about um rock and roll high school which is basically a beach blanket movie it's a beach party movie, except it's kind of a New York punk rock Mm. scene instead of, you know, we're on the beach. It's the same kind of goofy shenanigans, that you know, teenagers with the, you know, the adults that do the squares that don't, you know, just want to rain on everybody's good time. And also there's, you know, punk rock mice. (laughs) (laughs) Well, thank you everybody for being here. Um, And thank you everybody for listening i i i enjoy being able to do this and i i really sincerely appreciate everybody in helping that to be possible um like i can't even i can't even say it's it's thank you uh and in the meantime we will see you at some point in the future uh until that until
1: then though Channel 37's Midnight Movie Show was presented by Wendy Abramo, Will Ackerman, Dave Proberg, Michael Sims, and DJ Toland. Finally, a little time off. I'm going to Plymouth-Patexa to make fun of the Pilgrim reenactors. When I get back, this booth better have been aired out. And don't touch my Halloween candy. I'm saving that.
8: Telmac presents Alfonso Ribeiro. Hi. You know, I wasn't born a dancer. I learned to do it with a lot of help. And with my help, you can learn, too. Moves like the moonwalk, or the king touch—it's It's all right here in my breaking and popping book. Almost 100 pages that simply and clearly take you through the moves. In a few minutes, you could be doing backspins that will flip out your friends, or eye-popping moves like the centipede. My step-by-step guide starts with the basics but takes you all the way to tough moves, like the windmill. It's all right here in my easy-to-follow book. And tell Mom and Dad it's the safe way to breaking pop, not the things you shouldn't try. With my book comes a fold-out breaking board. Carry around to give you a huge 65 by 70 safe dancing area anywhere. Can you rap? Well, there's even a full rap sheet included. Plus, this instruction poster to hang on the wall with even more breaking and popping moves. Yep, you get my book, fold up breaking board, rap sheet, and instruction poster. Plus, you get the right kind of music, rap attack. If you like volume one, volume two is radical. my Breaking and Popping book, the rap sheet, instruction poster, a fold off Breaking Boy, plus the double album rap deck, all for under 20 bucks. Alfonso's right, only 19 dollars Due to incredible demand, COD orders are impossible. For credit card orders, call 1-800-453-8500 or send $19.99 plus $3 shipping and handling to Breaking and Popping 443 West 50th Street, New York. Alfonso's
5: offer is great for all ages. Have your mom or dad order one now. <laughs>